Oh, yeah. And if you let your boy BC digress for a second, I got something new to tell you about. How about the all-new 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe, right? How about a vehicle equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family? And if you're looking for features, the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe has you covered, like available H-Trek all-wheel drive so you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some of that mud. And with standard third-row seating, you can make sure the whole family can experience the thrill together. Available dual wireless charging pads make sure no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead phone. Make sure you can worry less about the rugged terrain to come. Want to learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe? Head on over to HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for complete details. It's a 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe. Revely, revely, donks. Look at us now, tip to tip. This is our life. This is our passion. That's the spirit we bring to this show. I'm Luke Thomas. I'm Brian Campbell. This is Morning Combat. Well, hello there, everybody. It is the 15th. We're halfway through the month of November 2021, and it's time to start your Monday the only way that it matters with MK. Hi everyone, welcome to Morning Combat. I am one half of your hosting duo. My name is Luke Thomas. I'm from CBS Sports and uh, I'm in the capital of Los Estados Unidos right here in Washington, D.C. We are joined by the Viceroy of Connecticut. He was once king, but then Glover became the, the belt holder and so we had to bump him down a little bit. I apologize, but he is he is here in all parts. It's Brian Campbell. What's up, dude? Did you just compare me to Rune Hako of the Trade Federation from uh, <laughs> yes. from episode one, Luke? Yes, Phantom and Menace. all yeah. those dudes all die the most fucking ignoble, sad deaths, so I'm sorry about that, but yes. Yeah. Hi, BC. How are you? That's the one thing George Lucas did not steal from Dune or, or Kurosawa. Thank you, George. Mm-hmm. I'm doing good, Luke. Mm-hmm. I'm washed as shit, as you already know. Uh, went know. to the Patriots game yesterday with my son and his friends and uh, you know did a little old man day drinking in the parking lot. Good times, great oldies. Your boy woke up washed as shit. Thank you very much. <laughs> well, I'm glad you got a chance to go. Uh, we have a lot to get to today. Max versus Yair was way better than a lot of us expected. We'll talk about that. We have some Bellator Cyborg results. We'll talk about that as well. Plus, David Benavidez putting on a bit of a show in his hometown yeah. of Phoenix, Arizona. So first things first, if you're watching on YouTube, thumbs up on the video. Hit subscribe. If you're listening on the audio podcast, do us a solid, especially if it's Apple. Leave us a five-star review. I don't know where it is with us bribing you to help us scam the algorithm, but I am told the next time we get in the studio, we'll probably figure that part out. So Yeah, this seems like a very yeah. empty and broken promise. Like when OJ said he's going to dedicate the rest of his life to find the real killers, Luke. Yes. <laughs> or when we promised that we had a very easy way for you to get cash on the weekend. Either one of those, probably not that sincere. Uh, also, BC, we have merch. In fact, I'm wearing some of our popular merch. I'm not sure if you are. I can't quite tell. I don't think so. No, uh, but no. you can go get some at morningcombat.store, BC. You can get drug rugs. You can get Factory Town MMA. You can get my stupid face, BC's stupid face. You can get a lot of stupid faces over at morningcombat.store. <laughs> yeah, you can. Yeah, yeah, you can. All right. Wow. Look, you sound washed, too. This is great. No, you're worse than me. You woke up being like, I feel like death. I just had a sick kid yesterday. I'm not Dude, so I also bad. I also cleaned the gutters on Saturday, and the ground was wet, and the ladder slipped, and I fell about five feet hit my face on it, uh, pulled my hamstring on the way down. I mean, it is just, it could not be sadder what I feel like right now, Luke. Well, I am very sorry to, uh, to hear that. Um, 
They're asking us if we have a certain read. I don't have any information on it, so I'm not going to do it. So we're just going to leave it at that. Oh, wait, do I? No, I don't think I do. Uh, I don't think I do. I don't. Reaction here. You know, they want me to do I don't have. I don't have that information, so they, I can't do the read they want me to do. Uh, also, what you can do is, beyond that, you can go to Showtime. We warned you. There was David Benavides. There was Bellator. There was a lot this weekend. You still have more time. You can go to Showtime.com and get a 30-day free trial. If you like it, you can keep it. If not, you can bounce. BC, what's the update on watching... All of the Godfathers on the Showtime app. Have you finished with that I yet? I finished one and two. I have not tackled three yet. I did Carlito's Way. I, I took a little detour down. Uh, right now on Amazon Prime, you can rent Pacino's entire collection for free. Uh, so I'm, I'm right now in the midst of Dog Day Afternoon. I've got Cruising coming up next and Justice for All. I'm really going all Pacino all the time. I don't know why, Luke. Probably because he's the best actor of our lifetime. I'm probably, right? He's pretty goddamn good. Hard to find a movie where he has sucked in. You know what I mean? Uh, okay, so with that, BC, I believe... Can't say the, can't say the same about Jasmine St. Clair, though, right? <laughs> <laughs> I guess not. Uh, okay. With that out of the way, BC, I believe we can get right to the show if you're ready. Yeah, I, I love this show, Luke. This really, This is the only reason I got up today. I love it. All right. Well, I'm glad... Jesus, that's sad, but also good <laughs> at the same time. Um... I'm glad you're awake. All right, BC, let's start with the UFC if we can. Topic number one, Max Holloway versus Yair Rodriguez. I think even if we had a high expectation, I think for most people, this wildly exceeded expectations. BC, we'll start with you. Did Max prove, because I had some folks who, I think, you know, forthrightly were asking some good questions about it on Saturday night. Did Max prove that he still has a lead on the division or that the pack is closer to taking over him than we once thought. Remember, only 29 years of age. Yeah, I was a little bit surprised to see some of that, uh, you know, minority opinion of of this is Max slipping a little bit. I think the, the real true moral of the story was the opposite, that Yair Rodriguez, after two years off, made a significant leap forward. Not to the point of being a complete, complete fighter where you're like, he's going to fight for the title tomorrow, but this was a loss for Yair that did nothing, I think, but, but turn out to a win to his reputation to so many elements about him that we rightfully had questions coming in. Yes, uh, he puts everything he has into nearly every strike, but there was a resolve, a focus. Uh, there was some ironing out uh, of his craft a bit. I mean, this was a, a title-level performance for, from from Yair Rodriguez, and I think opened the, the door to the true possibilities of the second half of his career if he continues to improve his game and continues to be this dangerous. Luke, uh, I did the, the, the MK post analysis on this because I am going away uh, on Friday on, on vacation, and I, I could not stop harping on Max's chin, I think as we all should. Now, should we be a little bit concerned that, that Max uh, took this much? Well, I think Yair came for the knockout, and I think Max made the right adjustments off of that. But if Max didn't have that next level all-time great chin and ability to, to, you know, not show the damage and keep coming forward, you know, this would have been a stoppage in the first half of this fight. I think Yair was that zoned in. Can he can he can he carry out a full game plan that's flawless at the super elite level? Not yet. But Luke, tell me if I'm wrong. Um, I have nothing but great to say about how Max adjusted to this and won the fight. And I think the all the, the the fuel for that is everything great that I saw at Yair Rodriguez. 
Yeah, I mean, I definitely feel like there's something to be said about the rest of the featherweight division beginning to catch up a little bit. I don't think that's in any way unfair or inappropriate. In part, even if you, I mean, first of all, you're absolutely right. Yair Rodriguez did nothing but raise his stock with this. I know he's probably disappointed with the loss, and it was some brutal loss. His foot, I even went back and looked. I mean, as soon as the third round started, you could see it was it was a complete disaster, and God knows whether it was from a check or something else. So, uh, but you're right. He raised his his stock here. I thought his overall performance was highly commendable. He pushed Max in ways that I don't think another 145er kind of has. I mean, Volkanovski took rounds from him but put a beating on him a little bit. Not like this. This has been a while. I mean, this is the most difficult fight for him in terms of damage since the Poirier fight, and that was up a weight class, right? I mean, that was... And worse than this one, too, for sure. But still, you get the idea. Like, you know, Yair came to win and came to fight, and so I think you're right. After Once, once he hits his 30s, I think he's going to put a damage on people. The thing about it is, for me, is Max's style. Now, here's the good part for Max. Again, without if you take away... The uh, the fight at 155 against Poirier, right? So we were talking about just his featherweight campaign. I mean, this dude hasn't lost since the Conor McGregor fight of 2013. At at, at 145, his run at, at, at the near or at the top of it, I think, is still very much intact. I don't think there's any other contender right now who can beat him to move ahead in the line. What I will say, though, is, BC, while I still think this is going to be the Max and Alex show, and we'll see how that plays out in just a second, we'll talk about it, Dude, Max takes a lot of punishment. A lot yeah. of punishment. I mean, we, we knew this ahead of time. His strikes absorbed per minute are at nearly 4.7. He's eating almost five strikes absorbed a minute. Man, I'm telling you, at 29, he's getting away with it. But, dude, when, by the time he's 33, 34, it's not going to be like this, well, and maybe even sooner than that. To, to jump in real quick, I do agree with the sentiment that when his chin goes – it's going to go. I don't know if it's going to be as drastic off the cliff as a late career Chuck Liddell, but when it goes, it's going to go. I think we agree with that. But do you believe that Max is taking too much punishment in general or that he just took too much punishment in this fight? Because if I'm going to point to one criticism of Max is I think maybe he he underestimated Yair. I think he thought he was going to be able to stand right in front of him you know, swivel out of the way, land big shots, use the volume like he did to Cater. I mean, look, he's coming off, Luke, a BDE performance, an all-time just complete swallow, shutout of Calvin Cater, domination, record-setting, where I think, you know, I, I mentioned on the post-fight recap that I thought in the second round, I'm starting to get a little nervous. Is Max going to run into something that he can't that he can't shake off? Do you feel it's more than just this fight that this narrative is, is, is going in that direction? Uh, these are all good points. What I would say in response is that, in general, he takes too much damage. It can't just be that the Poirier and Rodriguez and maybe like one other two fights or whatever are what make these numbers. What I would say is when you get to a five-rounder like this, number one, five-round fight versus three, and then two, the five-rounder is a situation where the opponent is taking rounds from him by, not again, not the Volkanovski sort of point-fighting thing, but like, you know, actually standing in the pocket with him and doing just fucking damage. Because what Max does is Max is like, okay, you want to meet in the middle? Let's meet in the effing middle. And then he just sort of just takes what the opponents can give him, but then he is so consistent with the offense that he has back. So it doesn't cost him as much fight to fight. There can be obviously disparities in the length of the fight and then the, the kind of style that the opponent employs. But in general, in general, it takes too much. This was just one case 
where you saw it after five rounds, you're like, Jesus, dude, this was really a lot of abuse. And at 29 years old, people can just look the other way. I just, you know, that that day is going to come where the kind of beating that someone like Yair puts on him is going to be the decider who wins and who loses. It just wasn't on Saturday. Still, uh, BC, the thing I'll point out about Max is I think you're right. I don't know. Took him lightly, I don't know. But remember, he could, he could be. Yes, that could very well be. Because remember when he said he and his team, they didn't have to take this fight. After beating Cater, they could have waited for uh, Volkanovski. They chose to take this. So I think that they thought this was a very manageable, or it was going to be much more manageable than what it ended up being. But Yair really showing a lot of gears. Dude, uh, Yair Rodriguez's offense, when it's on the terms that he likes to employ, so like a distance kind of kicking game, or, you know, in close and then throwing all manner of bizarre spinning attacks. Dude, he is a threat. His guard is also a threat. His up kicks are a threat. When his offense is dialed in, it is terrifying. It is very, very good. He just has a few pieces he needs to build around it so that he can keep putting the fight on those terms rather than being taken out of it. Right, and a, key, and a key, a real key to this fight where I thought the adjustments that Max made. I also think when you look at Max as a whole, to be that offensively... Uh, I was going to say promiscuous. I think more uh, prolific. You've got to stand, you know, close to the danger. And, you know, he took big bombs against Ortega as well, but his volume was able to wear down Ortega's face. So I think there were points in this, specifically the second round, where Max looked at it as, okay, uh, Yair's more of a live dog in this than I thought. He's more of a danger here. But can his face hold up? Because it was already showing legit damage in round two. And can his gas tank hold up? And... uh, as much as we can say, you know, Max, you got to be careful against these big-time sluggers when you're not a one-punch knockout guy, and Max isn't, to take this kind of damage. I also think, Luke, he looked at it as, okay, this guy's red hot in rounds one and two, but he will fade. Again, what made this fight so great, along with the the warrior spirit of both, is that Yair not only didn't fade, he really turned it up a notch in round five. We had the best boxer in the UFC willingly hold uh, Yair in the clinch for like the final 30 seconds of round five. When have you ever seen that from Max, Luke? Against Poirier? <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, I guess when, you're right. I, I guess you're right. That's the other one, right? Where he, he would clinch at certain times when he would get his bell rung and he would just be forced to you know find a port in the storm. Yeah, I mean, dude, I think maybe offensively, Max is the best boxer in them in, in the UFC. I mean, that's debatable, but he's certainly in the top three, top five kind of space. But, you know, to your point, like the secret of the ingredient is that he just has an alarming pain threshold, right? Go to the leg kicks. Dana White was saying post-fight, he was just walking around backstage like nothing happened. Like, dude, I saw a video on of the I, – I, the guy's a weirdo, but I follow the CEO, or I, I went to his page anyway, of, the, uh, of Bang Energy because he had a video with Colby <laughs> – yeah, this guy's a total maniac. But he had a video with Colby like the day after the fight with Kamaru. And he was like, how are you feeling, Colby? And Colby's face is like super fucked up. And he's like, I'm feeling great, never never better. And then they're walking somewhere and he's like visibly limping. Like he looked like shit, you it know? Like I mean, me. Obviously, I'm, yeah. yeah. He looked like me like this you, morning. Like you waking up hand. after a slice of cheesecake and a Michelob yeah. Ultra, right? That kind of a thing. Pretty but much. you get my point. Yeah. Dude, Max is a fucking... I just don't even understand how he can take this punishment. And then on top of when you add in the head trauma, the only reason I want to bring it up is because, one, dude, like, I, Max is just one of the best guys to cover in the sport. I love that he's still at the top of this division. Let's talk about the Alex fight. 
It's just that there's a lot made, and they go to it every time on the broadcast, like, oh, Max doesn't do hard sparring anymore, which is nothing but good news. We only want him to be around for as long as possible and to have all of his mental faculties in place. But if you're not going to do hard sparring and then fights like these, like, dude, I don't know how much of an improvement overall to health it is. That's still a shitload of damage. So just yeah, but, put that but out look, there. I do believe there are very... Now, look, the Poirier fight is an aberration because it was one weight class up, and Dustin Poirier, like Max, is a non-title, pound-for-pound, top-ten stalwart right, right now. I mean, he's among the best in the damn sport. So I, I think overall, though, to be fair, there aren't a lot of featherweights that could do what Yair did on Saturday. Keep up that five-round pace and max, match Max. Be that dangerous where every strike he was throwing, it, it had knockout, you know intention and have enough variety of his game and persevere through to go down the stretch of that fight, no matter how you scored it. And I'd like to get into that shortly and actually damage Max's face. I mean, look, as much as we can say, is this the turnaround for Max at 29 where they're catching up? Okay, cool. But Luke, how many others could perform, could put out that performance? Like I love a guy like a Shane Burgos, for example, right? Very good featherweight, great win over Billy Q. I don't think he could stand there for five rounds against Max and put on that kind of damage at that kind of pace and not, you know, like I think we saw a a, a breakout performance from Yair in defeat where I, enough where I'm going to pause the extra care and concern about is Max still that guy? Because he was still that guy yeah. in January against Cater. And I think if you put him in there with Volkanovski, it's going to be a different fight anyway. It's going to be more of a chess match. It's not going to be a go to war. Uh, there, totally. there, aren't, there aren't many featherweights that could do that. Totally. I 100% agree on every point. I would point out that Giga Chikadze could be an interesting name that we see coming he can do serious damage on the feet we'll see what happens with that but of course here was the other part about max and this is why max is so special how about those takedowns i think in the the second if not that the third round he started rolling them out he had like a bit of a blast double turning the corner you know max is not just winning because he's tough and he has good boxing i actually feel like what this fight showed was yes he's tough and he has good boxing but also, A, Yair, better gas tank than I thought he was going to have. I thought after all those kicks in the first round, he was going to fade. He didn't. But getting back to Max, he had the kind of adjustments where sometimes it was just defensive enough to hold on in the fifth. Or some of the grappling that he used to go to where he passed to mount, took the back, held it on the ground for a little while. You know, Max showing a lot of different gears here that just explains to you why even a Yair, who looked that good, still couldn't get past a Max Holloway at age yeah. 29 who was a man in full. I want to stay here because we have no reason to rush, Luke. Plus, this is the topics that most of our, you know, our audience yearns for. I want yeah. to ask you how to define what makes Max special because, you know, there are a lot of people here who think I just started watching MMA last year and, you know, they can they can go fuck the hell off, Luke, okay, right? <laughs> right? Uh, but, you know, I had a, a particularly long stretch of, of sort of picking or betting against Max through his run up the ranks, through winning the title, where, you know, I looked at him as a high-volume, not-a-knockout guy who's tough as shit, but what I missed along the way were some of those intangibles and certainly the IQ. And I think what won him this fight was the adjustments, was all of those slight, subtle, little things that make him super smart. How do you sort of, like, put into words you know, how Max does overcome his deficiencies and the fact that, I mean, are they just intangibles or is it just brains? Because there were so many tiny moments in this fight where he just made the perfect adjustment to, to sort of snuff out these potential runs that Yair was about to go on. Yeah, I haven't looked at this fight in grand detail. I only saw it the one time we were watching it live. And so I, mean, I actually went back and watched a little bit of the highlights. But 
Um, well, you got you got forty eight more in front yeah, of you, Luke. Okay. I got I got I got a full set of reviews coming. But like, if you just look at the Jose Aldo fight, it's sort of a real key example. What he does does not like. Um, I'll give you here's a perfect example. So he fought Jose Aldo twice. Both fights get stopped before the end of the third. I think if memory serves, right, right, or maybe one went into the fourth, but like right around that uh, close to the 15 minute mark. But one of the big differences between the first Max and Jose Aldo fight in the second was that if you watch the first one, he circles Jose one way to turn him. And then the other fight, he circles the exact opposite way to turn him the other way. Now, that doesn't necessarily change all of the attacks. Some of them can be the same. Obviously, you're going to throw a jab no matter what. But he came out one way and set this established rhythm and pace and style. And then came out the second time and then flipped it on its head. And I don't know that Jose, I don't say because of that only, he never recovered. But what I just mean to say is Max has what I would call modular striking. He has things he is better at than others. He has some tendencies. But if he needs to switch stances or circle in a direction or have a certain kind of combo built in just the right way for a particular opponent, he can just add the pieces and fit it on exactly how he needs it and then employ it once he gauges the distance and everything else you add into that you're right he is high volume you're right he can take a shitload of damage and stay in that space he has you know amazing cardio what he basically does with that high volume and that modular striking is he finds your openings and then he knocks on the door so frequently he finds the answer to it with the key pretty quickly and then once he does he just floods it and uh, there's not a lot of guys who can hang with him as a consequence. Yair being able to go as long as he did and then to put on a rally in the fifth, that is very unusual for Max. Usually Max's fifth round is by far better than his first. This is the opposite in that case. He actually dominated or at least did, did his best work in that middle space. But that's why I think he's the best or at least not one of the best. Well, he is one of the best. But that's what makes him special is what you really asked, right? He has yeah. very modular striking. Any stance, any direction, any combination – more or less, he can work with it. And if you notice, even between the first and second Volkanovski fights, he even changed his stance. There's just not a lot of guys who can make those kinds of changes, either in a fight or between them. And he may not utilize his ground game, you know, in most key situations because he doesn't need to. But, I mean, his adjustments on the ground and transitions, I mean, it was just lightning fast and, and elite. It, it, we got to see a lot of what makes Max great in this fight. But, Luke, I did want to not go too much further before getting into the scoring. You know, there, there's no lingering um, stank at all from this fight that it was con controversial or even really that it was disputed. But I did spend some time on the MKIA for this, saying there is an opening, I think, to make a case for Yair Rodriguez to either have, have gotten a better shake on the scorecards or even, to be fair, even though I agree it does not tell the story of the fight, to have pulled off a sort of backdoor decision. And look, before anybody, because I got a lot of, you know, feedback and hate from that saying, you know, BC, I've got, good Lord, why couldn't we have gotten Luke on that post-fight MK show? Because you couldn't score a fight, you know, if you were the only one in the building and, and everyone took your word for it. And I think um, people do have to realize again, because I do think most people at home are cracking the beer, scoring in their head, kind of whatever. Um, fights are never scored pride style at the end of who you thought got the better of it because guess what max got the better of this fight he overall did the work 
Fights are scored round by round, whether it's boxing or MMA, as if they're individual fights. And many times you can get a potential score that does not tell the actual story of the fight. Luke, how did you score each individual round? Because I went back and watched it. And the only amendment I will make to my scoring with the full acknowledgement that three to four of these rounds were very close is that I will take a step back from the idea that round three could be a 10-8. I do think upon second watch, 10-9 is very secure. How did you score this one up and down? Yeah, I did not score round three 10-8. Uh, you thought at 3.30 of the round when Max had mount, you were like, oh shit, this is headed in a terrible direction. But, you know, it wasn't too terrible, all things considered. And then Yair got back to his feet and, and, and you know, boxed Max, Max up a little bit for parts of that round. So Max won round three, but I'm just saying I don't think... For me, for me, I don't think it's a 10-8. I had rounds two, three, and four for Max. I had one and five for Yair. So I had it 48-47 Max. I think okay, overall he did the fair. better work. Yeah. That's fair. In a very close fight in which some rounds you're, especially round two, which I thought was the swing round, you're weighing Agreed. Max's step up in volume against the damage of Yair, particularly those leg strikes. And there were many of them that sometimes we don't score mentally the same level as a jab or a hook or all that. But I got a lot of issues. First of all, with anyone looking at this and saying, you know, that that there's no there's no case for Yair winning this. I mean, guys, again, it's a math equation. It's not a who did your eye test tell you won. It's it's simply a math equation. And I didn't like the three judges scoring on this, Luke. And here's what I mean by that. Particularly Judge Sal D'Amato, who had it four rounds to one for Max, gave Max all four, one through four of the first four rounds, which I thought was uh, more than generous. Now, I, in the end, scored... Uh, you know, like I mentioned, I scored one, two, and five for Yair. And, and I'm saying that those are very close. But look, two of the three judges gave Max the first round. I don't see that. And if one didn't, it would have been a split decision. And also round two, which I gave to Yair, and I get I'm in the minority, although I rewatched it and still feel secure of that, two of the three judges gave that to Max as well. Um, do you think it's just a, a preference issue? Or do you look back and see... The, you know, two of the three judges giving the first to Max and saying they missed it. And then you had a commentary team that was very pro-Max. Not, I don't think it was planned. I think that's just the way they saw it. Uh, do you look at scoring three to two for a Yair as someone, you know, shouldn't be in the chair that, in the, in the damn chair they are? Oh, yeah, oh. I don't I don't see a 3-2 score for Yair as disqualifying, if that's what you're asking. Like, I don't think it's so, so crazy that someone could be like, oh, what the fuck? But I don't, I could not give Yair, and I realize it you know, works piece by piece, but I'm just saying, like, just thinking back on what I saw, I could not give Yair both rounds one and two. I couldn't do it. Could I give him round one? I sort of look at giving Max round one the same way I look at giving Yair all, or three, three rounds to win. Like, you could do it. It's probably not the right call. You could get away with it. Um, so that's how I would view it. But I think we would agree, right? One and five, Yair. Three and four, Max. Two is yes. sort of where you're like, what do we do with this one? So here? I, and I that's think the one this came down for Max. It had had the two of the three judges not given the first to Max, it would have been a split decision win for Max. And I think had that been the case, this would have not been an argument. This would have been okay, close fight. Max overall did the better work, but you know. Three to two, and if you did have it for Yair, I think because of that Sal D'Amato score, it makes it look um, more of a reach to go out and give these rounds to Yair. But again, upon rewatch, 
I don't think there's a question in round one. In round two, there is a severe case for him. Uh, there, there just was, Luke. And and anyone saying, you know, BC, how could you score round five for Yair? Well, all three judges did and Luke Thomas. I mean, God, rewatch that one. That one's an easy one. Uh, yeah, round five, I don't mind giving to Yair. But what I would say is, for folks who are like wondering about the integrity of the result or you know how could you get to whatever result you came to, what I would say is judge it by pride or one standards, right? So judge the fight as a whole. Sometimes when you have a close fight, you know, you score it the, by the 10-9 must system. You're like, well, the rightful winner won because they round, they won X rounds and the other fighter won the Y rounds, and I, I understand that. But then you're like, if we had judges from another direction, maybe we get a different result. If you get the same result from two different scoring criteria, the 1 system or the 10-9 must system, probably tells you the right guy won. And to me, I would also score this bout for Max under the pride slash 1 system of judging Agreed. a fight as a whole. So right, that's why agreed. I thought like the right but, guy won. But look, you do acknowledge that there are many a fight in combat sports where the final score just doesn't tell it because in a 10-9 must sure. system, unless you're going to go to 10-8, a 10-9 round could be close to full domination and it could also be a, a pick em. So, you know, it's... Dude, uh, you could have a fight. You could have a fight where, I mean, you know, a boxing match where the winning fighter gets all 120 possible points, right? Right? Yeah. If you're giving them all 12 rounds and all those rounds could be close. All those rounds could be close. It's just that the one person edged enough on all the judges. That's unusual to see something like that. But, you know, theoretically, is it possible? Absolutely. You can we see just saw wide in disparities that, in scores. And that Michaela Mayer fight two Fridays ago, we just saw that same thing. She won, you know, 12 to nothing, 11 to 1 against uh, Hamadouche or, or whatever. Uh, what was the girl's name? I forgot the, the chick's name, but um, she fought her heart out. It would look like a 50-50 fight, but, you know. One, one, one's getting the best of it at the end of the day. But shout out to Yair. His stock gets raised. Luke, where does each guy go next? The people want to hear your take, unless you've already put multiple videos on your personal channel about this. <laughs> I have not done that, although I should, just to piss you off. But um, this is the part I, I'm just not sure what to say about. For Yair, let's see him heal. And then I think he anyone in the top five, to me, is totally reasonable at that point, right? So we'll see what happens then. Uh, even top three, really. I don't think this this was not this was a qualifying performance for Yair for two two years off to come a look like that. Incredible. People for want Max, Ortega, bro. People want Yair versus Ortega, yeah. and I would do a little God. cream get on top. Here, I mean, here's what I would say about that, dude. Brian, y'all are gonna shorten Brian Ortega's fucking career, man. No, he will. Are, no, he will, Luke. Okay, him and well, Halle Berry. I mean, do will, we, okay? I mean, I'm not saying that Ortega versus Rodriguez isn't the fight to make. It's a that's a sensational fight. But they're just putting this guy through the wood chipper at this point. Um, okay, here's the part that is a little more interesting for me, BC, which is I, I, obviously if someone is campaigning for a McGregor fight, you understand the basics of why. Like, there's a lot of money, there's a lot of notoriety. In the case of Max, it would be a revenge fight if he could win. You get the idea. But at the same time, it's just a don't you find it a little strange with how much he has gone to it, given. He was already guaranteed a title shot. He took this fight when he didn't need to. He wins it, and there's still a lot of McGregor talk. Here's what I mean, BC. It's almost as if, even if he wins the belt, Max is eyeing a future outside of featherweight sooner rather than later. True or false? I, I would agree with that. And it's not that it's a, you know, a, a criminal move to make Max Conner next. It's a rematch that we all feel like is inevitable. I just think of the timing and the injuries to Conor and the doubt right now about his future. 
I sort of knee-jerk look at that fight and go, Max is going to stop an exhausted Connor in the fourth round. You know what I mean? And 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 I saw Connor, of course, as everyone did, pacing in front of the TV, and we can criticize his cable management and the size of his TV for the money he makes and just his overall rabidness. Although I do like when Connor's rabid, but Luke, I, I if they did that, it's not that you'd go, I don't get it. I just think Nate Diaz is the fight for Connor. But look, dude, um, you know the. I, the more I do the math, I just keep coming back to Max Alex 3, Luke. Don't we want to know for sure who the best featherweight in the world is? And hasn't Max done enough in the last two fights, mixed, added in, combined with the second Volkanovski fight to show you that there's just nobody else more deserving? There's nobody else at the moment right now who you really could favor over Alex, potentially, depending on, on your stance. I mean, I thought Max beat uh, you know, Alex in the second one. You did originally. You changed upon multiple rewatches. But that is as good of a fight as you could make. I don't want to hear anyone say the first two were boring because, you you know, you don't get it then, right? I mean, it, that, they were brilliant, those first two. So, um, get, do it. What What's stopping? Luke, what the hell is stopping them? Volkanovski saying, I don't need to do it because I beat him twice? What would stop them? No, they'll, they'll do it now. I mean, there's Volkanovski has to face this down, period. Sorry. You got it. Like, like I said... Patricky Friday, enjoy the day he beat Peter Peter beat Aquili. Enjoy the moment being champion. But you are gonna, have, I mean, and, and he's hitting Russian cops in the in the airports apparently. But you're gonna have to see Usman Nurmagomedov one day, and that's gonna be a very he might he might win. MMA is crazy, but in all likelihood, that's probably gonna get transferred over. But we'll see what happens between Max and Alex. But I'm just of the you just you're not gonna find rivalries this special in MMA that often where people you could make a case that either guy won either of those fights and a third time you just don't know who's going to win that is highly highly unusual those guys dominate 145 I don't know for how much longer but they dominate 145 and they have to do it they have to have the showdown for their legacy for this division for that title for everything there has to be a third fight a big reason why I want that third fight is I agree with you that Max is long-term headed toward big money fights at 155 against there's many names that you would probably love to see him at now is he putting himself more in a potential to take damage yeah he's gonna have to adjust his style a bit be the volume striker but not walk into it but that's sort of why i want this volkanovsky fight i want to know for sure if we should start wondering if there's closure now for the end of max's featherweight run because if he loses a third time to volkanovsky not only does alex really make a leap toward like legit you know one of the all-time greats particularly specifically for that division but you know he's gonna he's on an insane run he beats a max a third freaking time are you kidding me but it i think that luke would be the clean okay max great run now let's do the connor fight now let's consider a poirier rematch now let's see if you can get in line and actually make a run at this lightweight title all right let's move to topic number two if we can here we'll stay on that card we could talk about the fight here in just a second, but I really want to know your thoughts on this part, too. So, Andrea Lee put a beating. Uh, really. You know, it's, actually, I've seen worse beatings, but she was, I'll say this. She was in the process, how about that, in the process of putting on a beating on uh, an old Cynthia Calvillo at, uh, on the main card of this event. Let's talk about this first. So, Cynthia says... Fucking no moss between the second and third round. Now, she might have had a broken face, but the fight was starting to go like this pretty badly. And the weird part was Cynthia just looked languid, out of it, not really all there. Her punches were slow. They were barely landed with any authority. That was hardly the best performance from her, but that is, could also just be entirely due to Andrea Lee, Andrea Lee, whatever you want to say, BC, 
Make sense of this for me. Any issue with her calling it off between the second and third round? No, no. Look, this was actually on the prelim card, not the main card, and it was a oh, my spirited, apologize. heavy battle in which they both bloodied the nose of each other. And while, you know, the story kind of should be KGB kind of making a move in this division that isn't all that stacked. No, the story is Cynthia Calvillo, mostly Luke, because I finally sent you that video that you hadn't seen where Dana did go on that rant and compare a rising Calvillo back in the day oh, God, saying, yeah. I haven't seen a spirit like this since Connor and Rousey. Now, you know, you don't want to... You know what? It sucks that that's lingering over Calvillo. But look, Luke, that's three losses in a row. She's 34 years old. She's been fighting good fighters, but but not you know not all time great killers. I mean, I mean, she lost to Shukajian, Andrade, and now Lee. Uh, look for this division, they're they're super elite. Andrade, obviously a former champion, one division below. But Luke, something changed once Calvillo was unable to consistently make 115. I feel like whatever was special about her volume striking, and you know, you mentioned to me that she used to be a much more aggressive grappler, and now she's just sort of following her opponents around. I've got no issue with with her and the uh, on the corner's advice not coming back out because she was flat and really only going to get punched in the face a bunch more, probably en route to a decision loss. But there's a lot of explaining to do for Calvillo and her team, uh, you know, in terms of what's next for her. Can, can they go back in the lab and really reinvent her? Is there still that much time? She's had injuries. Uh, I mentioned, you know, she had to sort of uh, go up to 125 because she couldn't make that anymore. Not only, you know... It, Sort of comically, is she not what Dana once claimed her to be? But Luke, I've got legitimate questions about who she actually is moving forward. I mean, do you? Is it this drastic where you you look at switching a camp and 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 you know breaking glass in case of necessary, you know, in case of emergency, and kind of just completely um, going all in on one more run because there's no Christmas tour. She's not never been a big power puncher to begin with, but she's just following her opponents around looking for that counter right hand, and it's just not there. Yeah, to me, her development has gotten all fucked up. And I don't know exactly where that really started. I don't know, because she was originally with Alpha Male, and then she was over to AKA, and now I think she's in Vegas, and something's gone wrong. Now, I'm not blaming the camps. It could be her changing has made the camps just try to catch up with the other one, and so the development didn't happen the way it was supposed to. It's one of the reasons why sometimes sticking with a team for a long time before making a switch is late can be really important because it doesn't disrupt the overall development process. Here's why I believe that her development has gotten fucked up. One, just the eye test, dude. Cynthia just doesn't look the way she used to. Now, part of that's probably the weight class. I don't think 125 is for her. There is no 120 weight class, but 115, she's much more of a physical threat than she is at 125. That's the first problem. BC, if you look at some of her wins, first of all, she got to the UFC after her, her fourth fight was in the UFC. So the other part is she got to the UFC way too early. And I know she was a waitress at Cheesecake Factory. You got to go make money. But, you know, careful what you wish for, man, because once you get there, the, 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 you know, to stick around is going to be very difficult. But let me read you some of her wins before the losing streak. You would say in the UFC, Amanda Cooper, Pearl Gonzalez, Courtney Casey, Jessica Iyer, some of that I can name. Now, you'd say there are some recognizable names in there but not some super elite names in there, right? Courtney Casey, had, I think, had a 9-9 and record heading into this weekend's bout. Uh, she's a good fighter, but, you know, uneven in her skill set. Jessica, I, probably the best of them. If you said that, you're like, oh, well, I get it. Now she's fighting the Chukagians and the Andrages and the Lees of the division. No wonder she's losing. She's just having a step up in competition. I think that's part of it, BC. But remember, 
in her sixth fight. In her sixth fight, she beat Joanne Calderwood. Now, Calderwood had missed weight for that bout, so that was not necessarily her best showing. But in your sixth bout, you're giving it to Joanne Calderwood, and she won by unanimous decision. To me, you had the ingredients of somebody pretty special there. And somewhere along the way, pandemic, camp change, weight class change, it just hasn't come together. If I'm her, I'm going to be reevaluating how possible is it for me to revisit 115 pounds under the guise, or not guys, I should say, under the tutelage and the observation of a certified nutritionist or somebody who really knows what they're doing, getting you back down to that weight and then reinvesting in the grappling and taking a big step back, I would actually argue, in uh, what kind of fighters you're fighting at this point. That her development's not done. Everything is headed in the wrong direction. It's time for well, a change. Well, I do agree that maybe it was a little bit too much too soon. She almost was, became a victim of her success in the fact that she won five fights in the same year in 2017, including her first four UFC. So she had this sort of Kevin Holland, Hamzat Chemaev type, oh my God, this meteor is, you know, what is this? But to, look, it goes a little deeper. She got an amateur win over Aspen Ladd. And even in her first few fights before the UFC, she beat Jillian Robertson. She beat Montana De La Rosa. So she was fighting pretty damn decent competition. And oh, by the way, Luke, although she lost the decision to Esparza, she fought to a majority draw with Marina Rodriguez before this losing streak. So there were times that she was, I, I don't think it was she just stepped up in class and that tells the story, as you mentioned. Um, I don't see the fire anymore. And so it's weird because sometimes you when you move up in weight, your intensity, your 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 uh, cardio, everything improves because you're not killing your body to cut. For some weird reason, it's been the inverse, Luke, for her. Since moving up to 125, she doesn't have that same spark. So maybe it, you can chalk it up to when she's winning five fights in one year and she's basically focused on, I don't want a waitress anymore. There's a different level of hunger, kind of like Luke, even though Pearl Jam's an insanely great historical rock band and they're still great live today and the recent albums of the past decade are pretty damn good. There's nothing like listening to 10. Eddie's voice, that, that, oh, the, the, I mean, it's an instrument because Luke, it's hunger, it's angst, it's anger. It's, you know, it's telling the story of their lives. She didn't get to necessarily to a level where she's sleeping with silk sheets, but I haven't seen that hunger in a while. There was a spark to her when she hit the scene in the UFC and it's not there anymore. Yeah. And then the last part I would say is BC, she took, she, she, so she fought Andrade and got stopped pretty badly in the first round there in late September. And then she took this fight on short notice. Probably what she was thinking was, oh, you know what, I'll take this one on short notice and just get that one back, right? And end the misery of the two-fight losing streak to these top contenders. And then she kind of felt found herself at the end of all of Lee's punches. Maybe her face got broken. I don't. To answer the original question, I don't have any issue with her... Uh, stopping the fight between the second and third round. If your face is broken or it's just not your day, save your pun save it. Save the punishment for a different day. At the same time, you know, if you're finding yourself losing fights like this three in a row, not to chumps, to good fighters, something's gone wrong. Something has clearly gone yeah. wrong, and there is there is a need to to repair the damage. All right. Topic number three, BC. Let's go to the Bellator side of things. Chris Cyborg <laughs> made short work of Sinead Kavanaugh. Sinead Kavanaugh tried to make it a fight. God bless her. She was out there to win it, but it didn't last long. A series of right hands sit her down inside the first. BC, I know you're going to tell me that that's impressive, but let's talk about what really matters. There that night in Miami was none other than now free agent. Multiple-time judoka champion in the Olympics, multiple-time PFL champion, Kayla 
Harrison. The question is as follows. Not would it be a big fight. How aggressively should Bellator seek the services of free agent Kayla Harrison? I mean, without knowing, you know, their financial situation within our own larger silo of a Viacom CBS company, how about aggressive as shit? Look, this is a super fight, and it's sort of perfect uh, in terms of its crossroads nature because Cyborg at 36 has not slipped. You know, we talked that up heading into this fight, and boy, did she go out there and deliver. And I know there's some people going, well, Sinead did land a bomb. I mean, she did. She landed an absolute bomb, but, you know, Cyborg countered that bomb and ate it and took it. And look, I'm sorry, unless you're Amanda Nunes, you're not getting to a Cyborg right now, you know, in, in terms of this level of competition. So the Crossroads fight is perfect because we don't really know how great Kayla Harrison is. She, she's mopped up PFL. But not only is her division uh, barely a division, the division below 145 globally is barely a division. So this is an extreme step-up opportunity for Kayla. It is uh, the kind of opponent. I mean, Cyborg's already in ridiculous shape and takes no shortcuts and treats every fight like it matters. But that's a get-up-early type of fight if you're training for it. That's a, you know, put everything you have. That's a, It's a career-defining fight in many ways. So, Luke, I don't... I don't know if there is a middle ground where they can do this without signing her long term. And and I do think PFL is going to have a, a say at the negotiation table because they're able to offer $1 million to win a tournament in which Kayla is going to be monstrously favored over these. But what you love about Kayla's fighting spirit is that she's not content with that. And after winning two different seasons and having to sit out one for the pandemic, it kind of it feels time for Kayla to really challenge herself. I love that she's not content. I love that this season she started calling people out and speaking like a pro wrestler and being almost cocky and saying, I know how great I am. Yeah, the window just opened. Make this damn fight. Now, all we know from Scott Coker is that he told the media this week and after the fight, he is interested. He's willing to sit down. I'm sure he talked to Kayla. Maybe this was the first time. I'm hoping, Luke, I'm hoping we get to this because this would be a big deal. I mean, Luke, could you make this a pay-per-view main event? Not that I want to see that, I want to, you know, but could you put this on big CBS? I mean, this you can really build to this fight properly and say, you know, maybe outside of Amanda or Valentina, these are the two best women in the world. Or you can competently say, these are these two are on that level. Kayla might be on that level, Luke. We already know Cyborg's on the same level of Nunes and Shevchenko historically, uh, despite losing to Amanda in that one. So it's rare that you get two, two, two fighters this great and with this much of a story of old versus new. And yeah, it, 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 it feels like a... Uh, I mean, look, you know, could, could you get your money back on a monster investment here? Maybe if you can sign Kayla... Uh, you know, for for a consistent number of fights and 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 win or lose, really make her one of the new faces of Bellator. But despite Bellator having a good crop of fighters, Kayla's on such a, a rocket rise where she could instantly become a face of the franchise for them. So I hope so, Luke. I hope we see it. And there's nothing because we're home, we're Bellator homers, whatever. No, as an MMA fan, I freaking hope we can see it. I would actually argue for this fight by not being a Bellator homer, which is what I would listen. Your ultimate point is correct, right? Which is the financials are going to have to make sense here. And God only knows, A, what PFL could offer beyond, you know, we saw the standard, but a million dollar, you know, uh, cash prize in addition to all the other payments that you get through that tournament if you win it is always going to be on the table, as you mentioned, and a pretty lucrative thing. And again, I don't know what Bellator needs to do to balance the books. And also, you know, you wouldn't want to sign Kayla for one fight because if she wins, 
then she beats your champ and then splits. So you're going to want to have to make an investment in her. Do you want to make an investment in two women that in either case don't have much of a um, division behind them, right? You're going to have the same problem with either. They're going to have to fight each other a few times probably to make that investment work. So there are a lot of reasons why the money may not work. But what I would say is on behalf of Bellator, listen, what is the difference between Bellator and Strikeforce? In some ways, Strikeforce was obviously competing in a different era. And did not have in any way a monopoly at all on the amount of the best fighters in the game, but had more than what Bellator does. And as a consequence, a lot of the shows that Bellator produce are good to fine, but the kinds you got, let's say, with like a Pitbull versus McKee, where you have like a legitimate claim as this guy being the potential best in the in the world in that division, or at a very minimum, you know, top three or something, you know, those are the kinds of, of, of events that make you stand up. Those are the kind of events that make you go, wow, dude, there's something impressive outside of what the UFC is doing. And some of their other fights do that too. I don't mean to suggest otherwise. But this is just the obvious truth with Cyborg and Kayla. There's any number of reasons to do it. One of which is if I'm Bellator, I want to be able to have the ability to put on fights that I can legitimately claim feature the best, or you know, uh, arguably claim anyway, the best fighter in that division in the world. They might be able to do that, by the way, with their Bellator 205-pound tourney. I think AJ McKee is basically as special as fighters come, more or less. And if you do that here with Kayla and Cyborg, you have yet another circumstance where you can do that. Also, Scott Coker has had a long Scott Coker had a long-standing respect for women's MMA before a lot of other promoters did too. So it's in a long tradition of that. But if I'm Bellator and I'm thinking about what are ways where I can put on super relevant MMA fights, where I can build a potential star in Kayla Harrison or any kind of star, and that really is significant for MMA. This is an easy win on that level. Whether the financials make sense could turn it into something you just can't do. I understand the business. But I just feel like Bellator should make a premium on big-time, relevant fights at the top of a weight class with people where that no one can bullshit who has the, or, you know, couldn't deny that these people are in the uh, conversation for being the very best in the weight class. Strikeforce had a lot more of those. Bellator needs more of them. And uh, if Kayla was signed, here's the question that no one's asking, Luke. Would she have to cut to 145 to fight here? Because that's a cut she, she says she could do for money, but not, you know, she's not, she doesn't want to. Yeah, but I mean, listen, here's the thing with Bellator. Oh, sorry, with uh, PFL for her. And you know this as well as I do, man. Like, yes, she could keep doing that. And there's going to be a certain kind of fighter who is going to love the idea of like, dude, I'm just going to go and beat up on some people that I know I can beat and win that million dollar check and go home. But it turns out that like when you actually get someone like Kayla, the equation changes. What you end up finding, more so on the men's side, is the people interested in the PFL format, generally speaking, are guys who are good but couldn't quite couldn't quite at least in the more senior stages advance to where they wanted to go and then this was a way to like move around competition to get not an easy payday but an easier chance at a big payday kayla's had a couple of these huge paydays now she's missing the other part which is do she can collect this money but the people who want to collect money in that way without ever really facing you know the very best that her generation has to offer they tend to go towards that competition, not away from it. And so the, 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 the incentive structure changes with her. She needs a big opponent. She needs a big opponent in a big fight. She's earned it. She wants it. Again, whether the financials make sense, we'll see. But I just feel like as lucrative as that money is, I'm not saying she will ultimately turn it down. I'd be very surprised if she goes right back there. 
She's yeah. going to want to test herself against somebody. And I the think she can make The answer to the question is what you're saying is she better be willing to make 145 consistently because that's where the money or not the money. That's where the potential at glory can be right now. And I don't mean kickboxing. Uh, and if you're, hey, Scott Coker and company and Viacom CBS and all the people that, you know, pay our paychecks. Uh, if you're going to sign Kayla, how about sign Megan Anderson, too? You know? You've got oh, Katz that's right. She's a free agent too, isn't she? You've you've got Katz and Gano at one forty five, who's a name. You've got Arlene Buenco, who just had a, a a hell of a good performance on this undercard uh, on Friday night against Pam Sorensen. You've got a mm-hmm. couple names here. Let, let's make a let's let let's make a you know you know what Scott has a chance to do. What Scott loves to do, Luke, and I don't say this disparagingly. I, you know this is this is what I'd do if I was him. Build the division up and make a claim that it's the best in the world. If they if they sign the two names I mentioned and mix those with the names they have, guess what? Bellator not only has the best women's 145 pound division in the world, they have the only women's 145 pound division in the world, Luke. And you know that's true. You do. I do. You're right. Because Amanda Nunes isn't going to be here for too too much longer, so they might be able to just take whatever's left over and run with it. It's certainly very possible. Again, I think that's the. It's easy for me to say that's the business Bellator should be in, but I just mean, you know, when you really look at what moves the needle for them, they, those are in short supply and they need more of them. And this is a possible, possible circumstance where they could add to, you know, that greatness at 145, that greatness um, at, at men's 205 as well. All right. So let's go to uh, number four. Now, also on that, on that same card, to me, this was a super important fight and a really important performance. And by and large, not totally, but pretty close, Aaron Pico delivered. He controlled and beat up Justin Gonzalez for three full rounds. I think that's the longest he's ever gone. I'm, I have to double-check that. It is. Certainly. Luke. Yeah. The first certainly. time he's ever gone to the cards. Yeah, there you go. And did it without a hint of controversy whatsoever. BC, grade his performance, number one, what would you give it? And number two, what did it tell you about his upside? Uh, you know, I'd give it a... I guess an A minus, you know, I mean, it's, I want to say B plus, but that almost underscores it. He didn't get the finish, but I'm almost happier that he didn't Luke. And I liked afterwards that he said, I really needed this. I needed to go the the distance for the first time and kind of prove to myself that, that I can do this. Luke, this was exactly what I was looking for. We've seen him go out there and brutally finish people. And I know Gonzalez is probably a step up from the guys he's most recently defeated, be coming in with the unbeaten record and some decent experience. But I love that he was patient and poised and willing to lean on his strengths. Look, Aaron Pico's at a weird spot where the the things that he could do to impress us most right now are not the most impressive things, meaning I don't need to see that highlight reel shit anymore. I know you can do it. I know you're an incredible boxer. I know you can slam people and knock out people to the body. I've got to see you completely control and dominate. So in that sense, Luke, it it really was near perfect across the board. I mean, I kind of get the feeling that his... His stand-up defense is never going to be perfect, but as long as it's not reckless, as long as he's not leaving his chin out there, and of course when he goes in there and he steps up for real against some legitimate sluggers, uh, you know we're going to have to see that if if he can if he can rein it in a little bit and actually box, not headhunt. But Luke, what are you going to say? What are you going to pinpoint that wasn't great about this? I, I kind of needed a veteran win, and this this looked like a veteran win. Well. Again, let's be very fair and clear about Pico. This was a great performance. I mean, he should be very proud of it, very happy. I saw him get tagged. And remember what we said on Friday? We just want to make sure he, even if he gets hit, you don't lose composure. He didn't. 
He stuck to the game plan by and large. There's a few of those spinny kicks, which you can see here he threw that wasn't great. But, you know, it, to your point, A- minus I think is exactly the right scorecard. Here's the one issue for me that I still see that I would love. I don't even know if you can clean it up, to be quite honest with you. And part of this is not even like wrong or right. Sometimes just preference. But, dude, once you just see what happens when people really get good at and build into their striking game, fainting. And I mean that sincerely. Do you see it in boxing all the time? You see it in striking all the time? Certain MMA strikers are the higher level ones. The reason why it's so important, folks are like, oh, you're just you're adding a level of complication. You like the CKB guys. It's not, it's not really about that. The CKB guys use that influence they got from boxing. They, they'll tell you that. Eugene Behrman talks about the fact that he was influenced by watching boxing. That's why they brought it over there. So that's really where it comes from from them. Here's why you want to faint. It's a very simple explanation. Because once you get good at it, you are striking on your terms, on your open windows, not theirs. Versus if we're just going to throw all the time, you're just rolling the dice. Not like in the, you know, it's not 50-50 every time. I don't mean in that way, but you know, you're, you're, there's an openness to that exchange where either guy can kind of get the best of the other one. And fainting, by, by the way, is no guarantee you're not going to get hit. But you watch a master fainter, they create a window, exploit it, and then they're back out. I think a guy like Pico could really, really benefit, especially BC. Here's why. Dude, his level change and penetration step to get the takedown, it's one of the best I've ever seen. I mean that sincerely. He gets so far underneath these guys. By the time they're fighting for underhooks and everything else, it's way too fucking late. He's already got them picked up, driven to the fence, on the ground, you name it. His wrestling is fantastic. It's super good. His ground and pound is dynamite. Bro, you start level changing these guys into thinking something's coming and then it's not. And he's we know, by the way, he's got great power. How about his body attacks, his body punching? Those vicious left hooks to the body? It's great. So all I'm pointing out is I would love to see him create striking exchanges that start on his terms and then go through with it rather than just trying to throw and see if it works. Absolutely. And he's strong, physically strong as shit. I mean, he's able to just, you know, physically dominate people. So matchmaking wise, I, I still believe that I, I, I think the, the, not the boss at the end of the video game, but the fight he really has to win for his own confidence in ours that he's legitimately title ready is that Adam Boric rematch. So if I could set it up perfectly, Luke, I would have that as sort of the last fight before the title fight. And look, he's going to fight for a title somewhat sooner than later. He's on a great win streak. He's that good. But I want to see him against a Daniel Veitchel type next. I know Veitchel's mm. coming off a competitive loss to Pedro Carvalho in a pretty good fight from a couple weeks ago. But that's the sort of veteran guy who can take you into more rounds. Can I'd even Luke, I'd even make that a main event. You know, sometimes Bellator's got these in-between cards. Uh, no, maybe it's the, maybe not main event. That's not main event worthy. But co-main event, make it a five rounder. I kind of want to see him in a in a in a near title type setting against the type of veteran who can particularly expose his flaws. Uh, I don't know if Vitchell's that perfect guy, but is that the type of matchmaking you're looking for next as well? That seems a little aggressive. Daniel Vitchell is a he's not a world beater, but he's an everyone else but them beater. Um, but he's he's enough. There's enough mileage on him where it could be. It's but it's it's kind of like perfect boxing matchmaking in hmm. a lot of ways. I have to think about that more. I, my my, I'll say this, BC. You might be right. You might be right. My initial reaction is that's a little bit too far from guy who wins on contender series but doesn't get the call up to Daniel Weichel, who I think could beat a lot of UFC featherweights. 
but you're also right. This is not the very best Daniel Weishel. We know he can't beat the very best. You beat him. It tells us exactly where. I would still like to see one more before that, but I'll say this. Either a Weishel type next or a, Cor- a rematch against Corrales, who we lost to. Ooh, I think that's he a could good beat idea. Henry Corrales yeah, and then like go that. to Weishel. I like that a lot, too. No, he's not ready for Emmanuel Sanchez next. No, Maybe not no, even no, no, Pedro no, no, Carvalho. No, no. no. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Pedro Carvalho, I think he could beat too, but Emmanuel Sanchez, I don't think. I mean, that's that's a tough. That is. That's, that's a, a tough, tough guy to beat. Um, so no, I don't really agree with that one either. But you know, you get the idea. Does did that make you believe that with proper development he could be champion? What you saw on Friday, one hundred percent. And I already believed that coming in, but this, you know, this kind of cemented it. Yes. All right. And then last but certainly not least, BC, what do we make? Topic number five. Of old David Benavidez, but I'm going to ask you in this way. So David Benavidez uh, headlined on Showtime on Saturday night. He beat the shit out of his opponent, who, by the way, though, was surprisingly game. He Dude, that was to- for for a one sided war. Kyron Davis has some balls. He's he's probably like a division and a half smaller. He yeah. fought his heart out, dude. He did. He did. He had nothing for David Benavidez except all the heart in the world. But but okay. Here's the way I want to ask this, because he was relentlessly campaigning for a Canelo fight. But over on DAZN, Jaime Munguia and Gabe Rosado put on what I thought was maybe the best boxing fight of the weekend, just in terms of like back and forth raw action. Gabe Rosado doing much better than I thought, but ultimately Jaime Munguia getting that nod over there as well. Munguia fight was at 160, obviously David Benavidez at 168. Let me ask it this way. Who did a better job convincing you that they deserve and would do well in a Canelo fight? Munguia at 160 on, on Saturday on DAZN or Benavidez 168 on Showtime? I got to go Benavidez, but I think it's 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 pretty damn close because Jaime Munguia against a a kind of reformed veteran, Gabe Rosado, who we really got to give Freddie Roach credit. He does, he, like, remember what he did with Miguel Cotto? He's very good at taking older fighters who've still got something left and rebuilding their confidence and really making them offensively uh, dangerous again. And I we've never seen Gabe Rosado try to be this much of a puncher, and that's what made that Munguia fight so fun, even though it was really one-sided in the end. But Gabe just really going for it one shot at a time against Munguia's relentlessness. But this is the first time Munguia, who's still young as shit. Uh, what is he, 25? This was the first time he really leaned into defense. Luke, he used to be zombie-like in walking forward, but uh, another all-time great, Eric Morales, who is his trainer, and it's really becoming a, a, a pretty damn good one. I think Eric Morales, who's not, who again wasn't a defensive wizard, although he was responsible, was more of a go-get-it guy. He's done great work with Munguia to round him out a little bit, give him some more foundational principles, some IQ, that working behind the guard. Munguia, I, I think, still is a long-term Canelo opponent, but I think short-term, if Canelo doesn't choose Triple G next, I think Munguia should be the next Triple G opponent because it's the same division. Mm. Triple G is mm. going to try to unify middleweight titles with Ryota Murata in December in Japan. Munguia doesn't have a belt right now. Former champion at 154. They're both with the zone. That, to me, makes a ton of sense, although obviously we know the Canelo Triple G trilogy the zone wants that bad. There's a lot of money there. That could happen next. But if you're asking me who who showed out better here, it's got to be Benavidez. This wasn't the matchup he wanted or necessarily that we or Showtime wanted because uh, Uzkatsuki, you know, pissed dirty or what have you. But Kyron Davis, again, after that draw with Anthony Durrell, really showed that there's something there. And shout out to his trainer, Stephen Breadman Edwards, one of the real... One of the I, real... I'm so glad you brought that up, dude. He th- so for fo- let me set this up. For folks who don't know... 
even before the sixth round, after the fifth, his corner was like, bro, you don't start showing me something, I'm going to throw the towel. Like, giving him a warning right away, right away. Because, look, they took this fight on short notice. As BC indicated, you can see from the photos, man, they weren't the same size. This was an uphill climb, and they were willing to take it on certain terms. But once Benavidez started rolling with the combinations against the, the, the ropes, shit changed pretty quickly. Goes out there for the sixth and just basically says, e e either it's this round or it's not. He starts getting beat up, and he throws the towel, and he saved his guy a bunch of punishment, even though he had all the heart in the world. I loved, loved seeing that. Yeah, shouldn't we be seeing video of this fight? This, it was a Showtime fight, right? Don't we have rights to that shit? Um, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, Breadman, by the way, is one of the... He's, he's a regular guest on the um, Raskin and Mulvaney Showtime Boxing uh, podcast, and he does a column for uh, boxing scene. He's just a smart dude. Julian J. Rock Williams is trainer, but that was a, a very smart stoppage, and to hear... Davis afterwards talk up his coach as 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 his second father. You saw the tears and it was just a, it was a good ass wholesome moment in a sport that rarely delivers. But the bigger story here is Benavidez. Despite that, he looked tremendous. His consistent attack to the body. He's got quick feet for a guy that size. Even though Munguia is a badass, he's still a weight class smaller coming up from a weight class smaller. The hook on Benavidez against Canelo is the size and the power and the activity. And the fact that, uh, you know, look, Munguia is also, yeah, Munguia is actually born in Mexico. So I'm not going to say, you know, Benavides is more Mexican than Munguia. I'm not saying that, but I'm saying, you know, Benavides is a little bit bigger of a star. He's in the same weight class and he would bring a size advantage to Canelo that I think is the sell, right? Along with being Mexican-American, along with saying, hey, if we're going to do this, let's do it Cinco de Mayo weekend in Vegas. And let's really go, you know, all Mexican style. And, you know, you just fought that defensive, you know, slick boxer in Caleb Plant. Now fight a bigger guy who's coming after you and is not afraid to take punishment back and will throw it in flurries. He had the performance we wanted. And although he did mention afterwards that he wanted Canelo... I kind of feel like he should have slammed that down, Luke. And I know I'm the pro wrestling guy, although I really don't watch it anymore. More news at 11. Um, Bullshit, you don't. No, I really don't. I, I didn't even watch AEW's pay-per-view over the weekend. I, I'm kind of I'm kind of moving on, Luke, and that's fine. But my point is, I know not everybody's going to take the pro wrestling route and say, Canelo, you, you puto, you motherfucker, why don't you fight a real Mexican? I know not. that's not everybody's, you know, M.O., but I wanted a little bit more. Instead, Benavidez kind of threw his thunder at Jamal Charlo and called him a pussy and all that. Would be an equally great fight. But yes, Benavidez, I think, Luke, short of Canelo going to Triple G, I don't believe anymore that Canelo's going to 175 next. I don't think the upside is there. I think if Canelo comes back to PBC and Showtime, company guy BC loves cashing these checks, but I think also if you can fight David Benavidez and Jamal Charlo in 2022, it's a hell of a great pay-per-view year. Maybe Canelo wants to fight a third time. Who knows? Maybe he could slip in that Triple G uh, trilogy for all I know. But um, yeah, Luke, Benavidez to me did, did what he had to do. He did what he freaking had to do. He's an uncrowned champion in his own way. We know his issues outside the ring. And Luke, even though his brother Jose coming back from a three-year layoff got what I thought was a gift draw in that co-main event, did you see that video package? I had forgotten that Jose Jr., his older brother, had been shot in the leg and yeah. uh, had that like violent background, but also yeah. was like the youngest Golden Gloves champion in U.S. history, they kind of had a quasi-Diaz brothers vibe, right? You, a you get little that bit, a little bit. Yeah, except here's the problem. Like, there's a big gap in ability between them, which yeah. you could have said there was a while between Nick and Nate, but I think that is closed, and, you know, both are kind well, of like different versions of each other, whereas, 
Like, don't you get the feeling that like David Benavidez and his brother, like his brother is the one, he's like a much, both guys are tough as shit. Obviously they're pro boxers, but like, A, there's a big gap in ability. And the one who has the lesser ability is like the, is like the street crazier one of the two. You know, I you know agree what with that, but Jose used to be the better of the two. And he did fight uh, Terrence Crawford for the welterweight title, and he went deep into that fight before getting stopped late. But, you know, he was like the amateur sensation who turned pro at 17. And Benavidez was actually pretty fat. David was a pretty fat kid back in the day and, and is really True. slimmed yeah. down. But, um, yeah, they, they got they got a cool vibe going at the very least. Luke, All right. gun, let me, let me, let me, let me firearm your to your head, bro. Okay. I want to ask okay. you a question, motherfucker. Right. Firearm right. to your head. Better call Saul, right? Who does Saul pick next? But as my wife would say, better better call Saul. I'm like, that's not the name of the show, but okay. Go ahead. <laughs> Who is he picking? Who is okay. Big Red picking for me? Okay, here's what here was my read on this BC. Tell me if you feel like I'm off on something, right? Because I'm still putting all my P's and Q's together with my boxing knowledge. So I watched the Munguia fight. I watched the Benavidez fight. To me, it just seems like for a lot of reasons, most of which you have already articulated, the Benavidez-Canelo fight just makes more sense for Canelo. I think it makes more sense for boxing, quite frankly. The, I introduced Munguia because I thought it would be a fun little wild card. And I didn't want to like not talk about that fight. But I think Benavidez makes more sense. Here's what I would say, though. First of all, I love your idea about Triple G Munguia. I think that is fucking awesome, number one. To me, though, the one thing I want to give Munguia is not that I think he's a better fit for the Canelo fight, because I don't. Although, at some point, one never knows. As you indicated, 25 Mexican, who knows what they want to do with that one. That's always going to be something kind of interesting. But what I would say is, Munguia had to do and show more to win against Gabe Rosado than Benavidez did against his late notice, very, very sprightly, but late notice kind of overmatched opponent. David Benavidez was walking this guy down with zero respect for him from round three on. I mean, from that point over, uh, for that point on, the fight was fucking over. It just took uh, that long for it to end. Munguia, as you indicated in your answer, had to show different things to get past Rosado in a way that we hadn't quite seen from him. A couple extra gears. So I, I actually think that going in the direction you stated was the best one, Munguia to Triple G, Benavidez to Canelo. But what I would say for Munguia is, dude, this is a fucking impressive performance from him. You didn't get yeah. all of the offensive firepower that you're used to seeing from him, but what you did get was an overall better performance of well-roundedness. I actually love this from Mungia. I do. I, I, I did. I love the performance. I just think, you know, he's deeper down the line and for potential Canelo right now than we realize. Look, dude, if Triple G beats Murata, he's. I think it's Triple G and Benavides head-to-head. What do I know behind the scenes? That's what I'm just saying from from where I'm looking at right now. Luke, did you happen to see at all the uh, the Golden Boy-approved ring announcer? That uh, that uh, the one who, had... the one who the one who had the one who also when he uh, commentates looks like like you do when you eat with the one eye closed. Yes. That guy? Well, look, I'm not going to bring that up because you know he can't he can't like me, Luke. You know he can't fix that. Okay, it is. Oh, what I it didn't is. know. Okay, so let me back up. I don't want to make fun of someone who actually. Here. Oh, no, hold on, hold on, hold on. I don't want to make fun of someone who has actual disability. I thought he was doing a bit. So if no, I no, I. Okay. He might have Sorry. a little bit of a wandering eye. I don't have a wandering eye. I have a lazy eyelid that jumps when I eat very right. much to draw the the uh I thought the, I thought he was I literally thought he was doing this like like getting into it kind of a thing. I didn't know I'll give he him had credit. an issue with his eye. His, the sound of his voice is good. His hair is fantastic. 
his catchphrase of uh, let's get golden or whatever the hell is lame. But I didn't like it. Neither did anyone on boxing Twitter. When after the fight, he's like, let's give a hand to these guys for without a doubt, the fight of the year. We're like, bro, come on. I mean, it's like the, it's like the fight of this month, but come on. I mean, like, can we, can we please also, relax also, a little he bit? Had, he had big ass traps. You could tell my man's been in the weight room too. Yeah, I didn't look at him that close. He's, he's been. You I didn't mean, see I, the. You didn't see the. You didn't see the traps from all the shrugs he's been doing. No, I didn't. I didn't. No. All right. Well, you know, very, very alpha of you to not notice. Uh, okay. All right. With that in mind, BC, it's time for us to answer the questions from the fans. It's time for DMs from the Diggity Donks. Hee haw. Hee haw. All right. BC, this is from Fron underscore. 607 after being a ref for a million years what can be done about the indecisiveness of herb stopping fights but not stopping fights what do you think yeah he's on a tough little run right now i i do think herb is still in the prime of his career i hope luke but i feel like we've had the herb dean discussion more than we should have over the past year this ben rothwell fight is the reference point where what's the guy's name rogerio de lima is that correct yeah I mean, he put it on him. That was shocking. I mean, he put it on him. He he hurt him with a left hook, and to DeLima's credit, he knows how to finish a guy when he's got him hurt. But, yes, there was there was a lot of stop-start going on. Uh, what, what What is that method called, Luke? The stop-start method, yeah. We've all we've all practiced that in high school, right? There was, I mean, you got to make a decision. You got to make a decision and stick with it, Herb. Okay. I mean, what do we do about it? I don't know. I hope the you know the Nevada State Athletic Commission or whoever has a nice little chat and just says. Come on, bro. Because I, I felt like he w- he didn't know what he was doing. That was that was a bad sequence, Luke. Yeah, I mean, here's what I would say. Uh, I think it was. I've talked about this when I did my radio show for SiriusXM years ago. I believe it was Boston University. Although, I, if uh, if I'm wrong about that, feel free to dead wrong me because I don't know for sure. But there was a major uh, study done by a university. I'm pretty sure it was Boston University that looked at, or maybe it was commissioned by MLB. But they looked at the strength of refer- or, uh, umpiring in baseball. And what they found was a lot of different things. But the biggest takeaway that I had from it was the longer tenured umpires in Major League Baseball, so we're talking upwards of 20-plus years, scored the worst. They actually did the worst job out of anyone, including brand-new umpires. So you're asking, well, where was the sweet spot? It turned out the sweet spot was around... 10 years or so, five to 10 years in certain cases. So it was folks who had a lot of experience under their belt, but not like a ton. Now, what would explain the reasons why there would be this drop off in, in performance? Some of those are very related to baseball that may not play any role here. All I mean to say is the one thing I would argue, BC, is we sometimes associate tenure. Oh, they've had the most tenure. That must mean they're the most qualified. And I actually feel like People start to get washed the closer they get to 50. I mean that sincerely. I actually think that their judgment sometimes sometimes needs to be reevaluated at different intervals. What I would want to find out, and there's no way to know this, is if you could test referees now for their competency on the job, what cohort in terms of how long they've been on the job would score the best? We just assume if they've been on the job the longest, that would be the case. But we know for a fact in Major League Baseball, it's the exact opposite I think there might be some lesson to learn from that in terms of officiating more generally. Yeah, that's worse ageism than uh, you're about to see and have you seen this shit with. How is it ageism if it's based in fact? That's the thing I I can't. I can't make jokes in this. Uh, I don't think I know. I don't think I can name a boxing referee or sorry, boxing judge under the age of fifty. To your point. 
I don't think I can find one. Right. And like boxing judging might be one of the worst fucking things ever, you know? So there you go. All right. From Jimmy underscore Reed. Hey, that's something. How would you guys see a fight between Robert Whitaker and Kamaru Usman playing out at 185? I'd probably see it with my eyes, BC. What about you? <laughs> wow. All right. All right. Yeah, coming into my dad joke uh, case there. I like that. Uh, the, you know, it, it's a great idea. Uh, it. I do think, you know, because... Kamaru and, and Israel Adesanya have not wanted to fight each other unless, as Kam- Kamaru says, you put $150 million down on the table. And uh, sorry, guys, uh, <laughs> pre or post Zufa ain't doing that anytime soon. Mm-hmm. If Robert Whitaker wins this uh, Adesanya rematch, which I think they just recently announced will be in February now, Luke, um, there's obviously a great chance we could see a third fight between them. And I do think that this this has a shot at being you know historic wi- historical rivalry for this era. But for all we know, Luke, Robert Whittaker could, could, could be the next middleweight champion again. And that would be the opportunity for Kamaru to really try to enter goatdom. And uh, how would it go down? I would favor Robert Whittaker because I think he's the most well-rounded fighter in the game today. And I think that the size difference would give his more well-rounded skills than Usman an advantage. Um, I've got to see it with my eyes that Usman can be as physically dominant in the higher weight class. You know what I'm saying? I, I'm not. Yeah. I'm not saying he can't compete for the title there. I just. I kind of have to see it against somebody as great as Whitaker. Yeah, Whitaker's gonna be hard to hold. He's gonna be hard to hold down. He's got great scrambling, great anti wrestling. I would say that the wrestling of Kamaru is gonna be in some ways worse, but in some ways better than the wrestling of Yoel Romero. So like, oh well, he, could, you know, Yoel Romero had trouble for ten rounds, but like. Uh, you know, that's a very different situation for a lot of reasons. So it'd be, uh, listen, could Kamara Usman beat him? Yes, I think he could. But I think it'd be a pretty tough fight. And, you know. Um, yeah, I'd rather him dare to be great there than, than Canelo, or please, or Nick Diaz. Who just said who just said that Kamara should fight Nick Diaz next? Did somebody say that? Or was that uh, they said, oh, they said Hamzat should fight Nick Diaz next. Maybe it was the Weighing In podcast. Was that it? I, I'd have to check if that actually happened. But if that did happen, then we got to get this Josh Thompson rematch sooner than later, all right? <laughs> all right, I'll call him. I'll set it up for you. All right, uh, next. Someone with the, just the worst fucking name. I mean, imagine having this name on Instagram and then expecting people to find your account. Like, you're never going to get followers. Okay. What was a car you guys lusted after as teenagers, if any? I noticed you two alphas hardly talk about cars. Yeah, motherfucker, because I live in the place with the most expensive childcare in the fucking country that shit is I, I could buy two fucking mercedes per per year with the amount of money i'm spending on fucking daycare but okay go the ahead. guy's name is ghost hardware luke i don't think it's that hard i know just... could you put could you make it no yeah go then write ghost hardware don't write number four fucking zero number four well it's better than zero. like andre underscore underscore dot zero zero three seven nine i agree with that you know? those are those are equally awful but uh, this one is uh, okay, so I'm not a car guy. You know, I didn't grow up with car magazines. I, I'm more of a A to B efficient guy, but that's because I've really never had money until right now. So thank you, Showtime and CBS. That's right. Um, me, too. Me, me too. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Luke, want to hear the history of the cars I've owned? Uh, <laughs> All right. Let's do, actually, I, this is this is actually better for our room service diaries, but I love this question. Go ahead. Okay. Okay. On the first day of freshman year of community college for $2,000 in 1996, I bought a 1985 Chevy Celebrity. 
It was gold. It was it was amazing. Uh, that was the stallion. It would stall while you're driving in key situations. You could take the key out while you're driving. Stallion. Dude, I had the exact same shit. Go ahead. Yep. Okay. Then when I was uh, 21, I bought a brand new 2000 Dodge Neon. Salsa Red was a... It was a hot car for a minute, Luke, for a quick minute. And mm. then that thing became an albatross. And then when I got married, I bought a used... 2011 honda accord then i bought like a 2008 honda odyssey minivan and then i got like a brand new box nissan Sentra that sucked the horn but luke how many times how many times did you sleep in the back of your minivan to avoid driving home drunk uh never but i you know i almost bought a minivan when i was like 18 just so like you can load up friends and all your hockey i played hockey at the time i played all these sports you could have all i just wanted to basically have my entire life in my car and you know in my van that would have been awesome luke we could have smoked that thing up many times all right so uh right now luke you know i, I bought a uh, 2020 orange subaru cross track that you have dubbed the uh indigo indigo girls mobile but no, no, uh it's the melissa etheridge mobile it, uh, you, look, you, it's, you, you drive on the way to Lilith Fair. It's sporty. It's efficient. It's got a sunroof. It gets great gas mileage. It's safe as shit. I love. And, and if you want to hear Ravi Shankar, just play the sitar endlessly in a jam session. <laughs> Dude, that was inside. Mahavishnu Orchestra, John McLaughlin and company. Well, Cobham on the drums. That was awesome. All right, so Luke, um, this is the first car I've actually like bought with intention that I wanted. I do. It's not manly at all, but I do tend to like smaller sporty efficient cars there's nothing manly at all about that so yeah i suck in a car conversation but to the spirit of the question what cars have i lusted over in my youth luke i <laughs> when i started driving you know it was my dream car it was like a brand new 1998 uh dodge what did you call those big suvs they had remember what i'm talking about vans no the, the damn dodge suv you know what i'm talking about well the truck the dodge truck is the ram i don't know about the rest of Durango. I, I, the Dodge Durango, Durango, the 98 Dodge yes. Durango, I thought had a great, great, great look. And then I also really wanted that, that boat. It came out in the early two thousands. It was a Cadillac and it was like a two door and it had like a real, it had the North star engine. I, I, I lusted after that car for a while. Luke, as you can see, I really don't have a, a stake at this, at this table for this conversation. I really, I should yeah, I've never be been a car guy either. You know, my parents never were car people. No one in my family was really a car person. Um, so, and you know, I didn't have money until now, and now I don't because uh, I live in an extremely expensive city. But what I would say is, here's my list of cars, BC. <laughs> this is a oh, true yeah. story. So my brother was two years older than me. So my dad bought us, we were, when we were in high school at the same time. So I was a freshman, my brother was a junior. So we had two years together. My dad bought us a car. My brother got to drive it most of the time, but he bought us. He took us, this is a true fucking, so remember, this is the guy that would hand out Roy Rogers coupons on Halloween, right? This is my dad. You know that like when they apprehend drug dealers at certain times, they can confiscate their property, right? Yes. My dad took us to a government auction of confiscated oh, yes. cars. I always wanted to go there and buy some really cool so, shit for cheap, yeah. So actually, the car ended up being pretty good in, ter in terms of like, you know, your first car for nothing. I think my dad paid like four grand or something and got wait, a, wait, is a your, white. Is your dad in general a cheapskate? Oh, God, dude. My, da my dad won't spend money on a fucking my dad just, you know, my dad, my dad just loves to have his money just sit in the bank and just yeah, do yeah. nothing. Unless it's an international and, whore, he will not open that wallet. Right? <laughs> even, yeah. even then he's too cheap. Even yeah. then he's too cheap. 
Uh, but here, so we got a white Chevy Corsica was the first car I ever drove. Oh, that's a so piece then of we, shit. I've seen oh, those. I mean, that's the a... worst piece of shit. And then yeah. I inherited it to college. You ever seen that scene in Bill Murray's uh, Stripes when they park in front of the fire hydrant and the guy comes out of his shop? He's like, you can't park that here. He's like, oh, no, no, sir. We're not parking the, parking the car. We're abandoning it. <laughs> Keep it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's Dude, that's yeah. literally what I did to this car my freshman year. The brakes got so bad when I drove to college because I lived uh, my sophomore year off campus on an apartment. I couldn't hit the brakes. I had to milk the emergency brake to go oh, downhill dude. so I wouldn't hit anybody, right? So finally, one day, the brakes just didn't work, and I coasted to a stop, and I just left the motherfucker there, and that was the end of it. That was the end of that car's ride. Um, after that, I came back here. I had a Toyota with no hubcaps, two-door. The window didn't roll down except for five inches, and Did it had have no this, AC. The, hold the on, hold ceiling? on. The cloth ceiling that would fall apart. Oh, yeah, that comes down, yeah. and it was stick shift. So one day I had to drive in terrible traffic from D.C. to Fredericksburg, which is not very far. But if, you, if traffic is bad, it took two hours. Two hours in August, no AC, stop and go with a stick shift. I came out of there looking like I could make fucking bantam weight. I uh, guarantee I you, so much. you did not get laid the history of you owning that car. I guarantee it. I think that's right, actually. I think that was... Yeah, the, the oh, low, of course it is, dude. That was of like course. the low period of my life. So then after that, I bought a used purple Toyota Camry which my neighbor hit me and totaled. And then after that, I bought my first, uh, at the time, it was a brand new car. It's what I drive now. This was 2016, and I got a, uh, a Mazda CX-5 like SUV, okay. whatever. What have I that's- coveted? I've always coveted Mercedes S-Class. That's, what, that's always been the dream. Wow, we sound so sad. There's probably people with like giant Ford F one fifties and sports cars and be you know, and they're they're just looking down on us, Luke. That's that's So great. I mean I'm in the market for a car now. My wife and I have talked about it, but here's a couple problems. It's like one, I want to wait till my daughter can go to pre K three because our bills are fucking insane. Number one. Number two, I, it doesn't even benefit me to have a big ass car, dude. Where am I gonna park it in this fucking city? Like it doesn't do me I need something sleek and smaller just to get around and do shit. So Dude, you should First of all, you should get out of the city and move to the suburbs. You should move Fuck to my that. town, Luke, my town. We could be like like local neighbors. We could coach like youth soccer together. This would be awesome, Luke. We can go to like the school functions and make fun of the other snobby parents. Like this would be great. Jose, if someone cut you a 100 grand check, you didn't have to spend the whole thing, but yes. you had 100 grand to sp- buy in a car, what would you buy that day? Walk into the lot and just give them the check. You know, when you're, you know, you're not a car guy when you don't have a go-to answer, Luke. Yeah, exactly. You know, so I'd buy a, I've, I've always been a Mercedes, like a G wagon type of thing. That's where I would go. But I'm not a big car guy, you know. Yeah. By the I'm way, can you guy. can you repair your car? No, 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 hell no, no. Yeah, I, I tried being the car guy once. Here's what I'll say: I tried to teach myself, which is not smart. The best I ever did was in that Chevy Corsica, I was able one time to change the alternator. I actually did that with a timing belt, took everything off. But uh, even that was a bit of a fucking uh, nightmare to do. And I was like, you know what, man? I don't really, I don't care about knowing this shit. I'm just going to let someone else do it. So. Let's hear from the staff here. Gaff has sent us a message saying he would get a Hellcat, Hellcat Challenger, Challenger or a G-Wagon. And Jay says another 
Tesla. Uh, look, Jay, my... Jay loves to drive drunk and then sit in his car and let it take him home. Yeah, on he autopilot. puts the weight on the steering wheel. Uh, all state troopers, please be on the lookout for this guy. Uh, my stallion was so dangerous at the end of it, Luke, that my dad was like, I, I, I do not take that anywhere outside of town because I would go down to my buddy Ed's college at Manhattan College in in, uh, in in the Bronx in New York to party and stuff and try to hook up with chicks. And it, he one time he was like, you are not allowed to take that because it's going to break down. So what happened, Luke, was I knew his work schedule. So Brian Nuremberger and I, we got in the car and I was like, look, come over to my house and then we'll hop in and we'll leave before my dad gets home. And then Luke, it, he got home just as I was pulling out and he got out of the car and he was like, I told you right in front of my friend he's like i told you not to take that piece of shit to new york again so he goes here's the deal when that piece of shit breaks down on 684 take the plates off leave it on the side of the road and get your own ride home and then he went and slammed the door and then my and then nern looked at me he was like should we still go i was like yeah dude let's Fuck do yeah. this you know and actually on that ride home on that ride down i did one of the all-time dangerous moves of like the exit was coming and i was going too fast in the middle lane luke and i did like a fast and the furious slide to pass the person in the right lane and just make it off the exit ramp in time though you know when you would regularly put your life on the line for no reason those were great days right luke <laughs> yeah they were all right uh this is an easy one to answer the answer is you but at bcg 347 which one of you would win in a one mile race for sure bc would win in a one mile race See, what's your best one mile luke. time I, I'm not sure there's a distance that I can't beat you at. Probably. Probably. Now, now I'm washed. I'm like. What's your best time on the mile ever? 5.57. Oh, it's better than mine. That's better than mine. Although I will say. No, 5.56. I did, again. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a sick. My best ever. Best ever was plus six. Let's say 6.30 just for uh, shits and giggles. Okay. I did that so. when I was 27. So I haven't been doing road races in like 15 years, but I, I was a pretty good 10 K runner as an adult, Luke. Yeah. You're, you're, you're going to beat me in all of these for sure. Never. That's never, I was never like horrible, but it was never my strong suit ever okay. at all. I'm uh, washed. Yeah. Now, my best though, time, yeah. my best, my, I don't, I don't have a, I don't know what my best single mile race is, but my best, I told you before, my best three mile was when I was like 21 or 22 or whatever. Oh no, 19. Shit. What am I saying? And I did, uh, the three miles in 19 minutes. Oh, that's, that's better still... than my. That's actually better than my five k best time. So there you go, Luke. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So you're not. So Luke, we should do like an academic decathlon. I mean, didn't we all film things one time? <laughs> didn't and never didn't saw we the shoot one of... and it just never made the light of day? <laughs> I mean, I'd love to play you one on one in hoops. I'd love to have a cooking challenge. What else did they do in Billy Madison, Luke? I don't remember. I haven't seen it in so long. Uh, all right, last one. This one's actually a little bit more interesting than you might imagine because. It depends on how you define certain things. So hear me out on this one. All right, from C Quizzle ninety three, rank your favorite pizza chains, i.e. Domino's, Pizza Hut, Papa John's, BC. Are we only counting those three? I guess you could add in uh, Little Caesars. Yeah, right? which is shit. I mean, you which can is get just absolute PC. <laughs> you get a large cheese for seven dollars. That'll be ready in one second. But that's about it, Luke. Okay, you know. <laughs> and also, yeah. what about pizza? Do you eat the pizza at Seven Eleven? You fucking animal, <laughs> dude. Before before my liver was uh, diagnosed as dead, I would get the ninety nine cent slices at Cumberland Farms. Maybe four days a week. I'm, I'm going to admit it. Look, at some point in your life, you have to come clean, Luke, okay? Yeah, if I yeah, was yeah. driving by that area, I would stop. I mean, that's how it was, you know? All right, so rank pizza chains. All right, pizza chains suck, but pizza, as we all know, like gross sex, is, is really never 
that bad, right? I think Pizza Hut of that group. I mean, especially if you can find an actual Pizza Hut where you can go in and sit down and go inside. Dude, they who to wants to do that except pedophiles and serial killers? I mean, you, who sits inside Pizza Hut? Do you remember they had the, the lunchtime buffets that were really cheap and you could yes. get the, uh, oh, dude, Gaff just slid in with Sbarro. Yes, yes. Sbarro, but Sbarro, but what about CeCe's Pizza? CeCe's okay, so CeCe's too. Buffet, which in where my parents live in Daytona Beach, Florida, I think it's still $4 per adult to eat just a disgusting amount. It's always a great idea on paper until you you literally are like, can I get a stretched out cone hanger? I got to I got to get this shit out. You know what I mean? I got to I've got to I've got to off myself right now, please. I mean, no, that that that's gross as shit. So I, I'm going to put Sbarro's, you know, you go to your mall, local mall. That's a good ass slice of pizza. But Pizza Hut with the damn buffet, Luke, in person, the rare times you can find that. That's got to be the right up there, too. Yeah, and you can go sit next to all the people who are wearing the skin of their victims. Uh, yeah, all the people who have like those sweatshirts with like wolves on it. You know those ladies, right, Luke? They, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Howling, you know? Uh, yeah, yeah. I don't know where I would put number one because I don't know, like, this is tough for me. I will say I had a friend who was so fucking cheap. This is a true story from high school. This, this motherfucker was the cheapest person on earth. We were going to go to CC's one day because it's high school. You have no money. And what else are you going to do? So we were going and he was trying to like hook up with this girl who's in the car in front of us. We all had planned to go in like a caravan or whatever. And she turns to go into the CC's. I'm riding with him. He's driving and we just keep going. And I'm like, motherfucker, the CC's, like, where are you going? He's like, here's the plan. I'm going to drive far enough so that she goes in, doesn't wait for me and then pays for her own CC's. Then I'm going to go and sit down and be like, oh, my bad. I'm sorry. I didn't, I didn't have any money. And I'm like, dude, it's $5 all you can eat. How fucking broke are you? Are you? He's like, I'm not paying for that shit. I was like, okay. Oh, <laughs> okay. Have, all right. Unfortunately, uh, I've, done, I've done things in the, not that, but in that category, I've done things, Luke. Yeah. This motherfucker not... one time, this same guy, this same guy went up to me. Do you, do you, did you guys ever have like a media play? You ever heard of media play? No. All right, so Media Play was one of these big stores where it had like a bookstore inside, then like a video store inside, and then like a CD store inside all in one. Obviously, that is no longer a business model that makes any sense whatsoever. But at the time, it did. And we would go in there, and my man came up to me. He's like, dude, I got 10 bucks. I just need five so I could go buy the new cake CD. And I was like, all right, fine. I'll hit you with a five. God, what, out it was, that, I could I could imagine what it looked like, felt like, and smelled like during that conversation. You just you just basically carved out like my angst '90s years right there. Yeah. Okay, all right. Here's the best part about it: it was four of us who had gone, me, the other guy, and then two more friends. This asshole went to all three of us and told us the exact same story, which was, "Hey, I have ten dollars. Can you just give me five? It worked. He got five from all three of us, and then bought his new cake CD. And kept it. Turns out he's actually really, really rich these days, but um, he's a bit of a scam artist. It, was that the same guy who, Wall Street. Who, Does that make sense? Was that the same guy who bought all those whores and then you had to like decide to just leave him, Luke? Was that that guy? No. I, dude, I've got the worst friends yeah. ever. Including uh, no. me. Including the, me, Luke. Yeah. Including you. This guy went into Wall Street and made a shitload of money. I'm sure that sounds very surprising to you. But uh, anyway, ranking pizza chains. I actually would put Pizza Hut first as well. I haven't had Pizza Hut in forever. Here's the tough one for me, BC. Who's your solid number two? Not just in the bathroom, but when you eat. Domino's or Papa John's? You know, I, I've I had Papa decide. John's 
so little in my life. Like, like, look, Little Caesars is just, it's the shits. Um, do you have, um, what's that chain we have in Connecticut that I never go to anymore? Uh, People's Choice? That's like, no. okay. In uh, college, we had one called Chinello's, and you never had to ask for it because their bit was they would always serve it with a big pot of ranch. So you'd call them up at 2 in the morning and be like, give us a cheese pizza. And they'd come in with a huge thing of ranch and everyone would just fucking devour it. That was fun. That was fun. Yeah. Um, dude, CC's makes you shit. Like, dude, like, CC's uh, is, I mean, you know, the rats, like ratatouille is in there putting the thing in the yeah. oven and whatnot. I mean, it's really gross. The only good it. about CC's is you could go up and, and they'll put anything on it. You could, you could concoct the most disgusting mix and they'll be like, yeah, we'll make that for your shirts. Sure. It costs $4 to get in here. You can eat whatever you want. Yeah, it's great. All right. Speaking of that, it's time for Have You Seen This? Let's watch. Yeah, thank you. Uh, we scour the globe every week for the highs and lows, the good and bad, the ugly, the in-between, mostly the ugly. From combat sports and beyond, it's called Have You Seen This Shit? Go ahead. All right, special thanks to our guy Gaff for always taking all this BS and putting it on the screen for us. Here we go, UFC Fight Night in Vegas. Luke Featherweight, Sean Woodson with the body shot finish on Colin Anglin. This was brutal. Yeah, dude, he looked good in this fight. Oh, Woodson... oh look, at he gave him the Matumbo finger, Luke. Yeah, 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 he gave him the... He gave him the uh, no sir, no hiding from that one. Yeah, that's a vicious body shot. Dude, any any human that's never been punched to the body, like, I mean, you feel like you're dead, Luke. Yeah, it's, it's I mean, and then he's just putting those right, right where they're supposed to go. Accurate, voluminous, uh, he looked great. Luke, this undercard had so many bangers we could fill a whole segment with, but how about welterweight Chaos Williams giving it to Miguel Baeza here? Yeah, I was sad to see this because I like Miguel, but that's two in a row. I think two in a row. It's only two losses. And uh, he paid for it. You punch, you, and then just, you know, he punches, then the guy moves into range, and then it's exchanges with him. This is what I mean about, like, you, you strike when it's 50-50 without setting it up. Eventually, this is going to happen. Luke, little teaser. Who will be on, what will you be talking about on today's MK Extra Credit? So the Woodson one for sure. I don't know if I'll get to the Baeza one. We'll talk. We'll talk some other ones. Uh, I think I have to look, pull up my list here. I'm also going to get to. Leighton Vassell had a nice win, Luke. He did. I wasn't super blown away by, it, but the Yadong Arce fight, and then also we're going to talk about the uh, Joel Alvarez fight as well. Or as I called him on HQ the other day, uh, Vinton Lassell. Yeah, you called him Vinton Lassell, and no one corrected you. I'm like, and then no. I'm like, you know, he's got a great fight against Justin Fortune, who's uh, Manny Pacquiao's uh, strength coach. It's great. It's great, BC. It's great. All right, let's keep it going. Lightweight Da On Jung opened this card he with some too. nasty elbows against Kennedy and Zekwu. And Zekwu. And I can't ever pronounce his last name yeah. properly. But look at Nasdaq this. Just holds 500. the lead hand, and then just and just and just goes to work. That hammers them down. That, dude, elbow finishes are just brutal. I, they should outlaw elbows, Luke. That's like a weapon out there, right? Strike Force did. Folks forget that. I did forget that. All right. We got a new entry in the Tip to Tip universe, Luke. You actually sent me this yourself. Max Holloway and Yair Rodriguez in the ambulance afterwards. Yeah, yes. man. Yes. Dude, look at their faces. I mean, whatever they got paid, it was not enough. Not Good enough Lord. at all. Oh, I love. By the way, I love this. Chandler and Gaethje also had a picture like this in the hospital after 
should have been on last week's show. Yeah, I love when they do the Rocky and Apollo, you know, meet up in the in the hospital. See, and show everyone that. loves those. I like them too, but you know what would make me smile more is if they were in the back of an ambulance with a big ass check for all the money that they actually are worth. That yeah, would make and me then a that, lot happier. Then that you know that picture that everybody puts up on Twitter all the time of Dana, Connor, and Lorenzo just like laughing it up over some whiskey, talking about how much money they made. They they should cut right to that, Luke, every single time. All right, I'm a week late on this, but everybody and their mother has sent me Anderson Silva's son, Gabriel, getting sent to the dark depths here in this yeah. kickboxing bout. Good God. He gets torn up here. He just, I, I don't know if he's hurt. Yeah, he's hurt here, so whatever. You can't just, oh, oh. man. I mean, they're sending referee, me multiple. Referee, referee kind of fucked him over, too. He should have intervened a little bit earlier. I had one guy that sent me, like, three different angles of it. I was like, you know, one's right, he, fine. Like right here, you got to stop it. And he just, uh, Good Lord. All right. Speaking of the aforementioned Hamzat Shemaev, Luke, uh, there's talks that he could be in 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 line for a Gilbert Diaz fight or Gilbert Burns fight. Excuse me. But how about this, Luke? He tweeted at Nate Diaz. I'm ready for you. Holding up two firearms. Is he talking about fighting Luke or is he going to kill him? I mean, what are we doing here? He's a different one. He what's what's he watching on the TV? Can you blow that back up? I don't know what that is. That looks is like that... one of your one of your intensely violent uh, international, uh, you know, gun movies, right? Yeah, I mean, I doubt he's watching Sleepless in Seattle. You know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like Kurosawa, you, you, he makes you've mad got films. mail. Yeah, uh, Luke. Let's go to the king. Oh, no, sorry. Let's stop one more. Uh, AEW had a pay per view over the weekend, as I mentioned. This is Junior Dos Santos landing a suplex into get this, Luke, a standing moonsault. Holy shit, right? Watch it. By the way, the gentleman in the sweatsuit, Luke, on the ring apron is none other than Dan Lambert of ATT, who took a, I couldn't find video of it, but he took a stapler to the ball bag from Chris Jericho, and then he also uh, uh, did the job to Jericho and took the pin to end that well, listen, street fight. Listen, if Junior is happy and he's making money... I'm not going to hate on it, but I'm also definitely not going to watch. Andre Arlovsky was also. In the, yeah, so I, Luke, I did throw out that idea like, hey, if Showtime could pay the money for us to get front row EW tickets, we should go. But I'm I'm not going to lie. Like, I love AEW. I'm just not really watching the wrestling anymore. Maybe you and I should go to a jam band concert to make up for that. I, I, listen, I will go. I will, and I, if you can find one quick enough, I'd even go first. But if we go, okay, you're going to fucking Cannibal Corpse in February, and that's the end of it. Or maybe a, like a badass jazz concert. Like if Sons of Kemet comes around next spring. That's maybe a contradiction in terms. Oh, wow. Okay. Hey, I mentioned the King of Connecticut, Glover Teixeira. Let's go on a little run here of showing his celebration. This was him arriving in Danbury, Connecticut on the plane ride back from winning the UFC light heavyweight title in Abu Dhabi. Luke, this just feels good to watch, right? Now, where are you in this crowd? Uh, I'm I'm not there. I don't know. Is this an airport, a train station? I don't know. But shout out to Danbury, what Connecticut. Is, what is Danbury, Connecticut like? We talked about this before. It's a city on the New York state line. Uh, uh, there, there's People always say, look, all the lawn care workers that, that provide for all the rich towns on the Connecticut coast, they all live in Danbury. But it's kind of like one of those cities where a lot of hard workers live there and it's... Uh, Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. 
Visit roberthalf.com today. Old man winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. Oh, <laughs> Heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, old man winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. You know, it's a little edgy, a little edgy, but my sister went to college there at Western Connecticut State University. Um, it is what it is, Luke. Big time Brazilian and Portuguese population, as is my hometown of Naugatuck, Connecticut, so I can get down uh, with my folks there. Luke, let's keep it going. They had a parade this weekend, and Glover got the key to the city in Danbury. Only in pure uh, <laughs> in pure factory town MMA style, they drove him around in a damn tractor, Luke. What are we doing here, right? Are they giving him hay rides at the fucking pumpkin patch? What the fuck is that, man? Uh, I, I, I do mean, love God, this, though. God bless Glover. Uh, I'm happy for him, but he deserved a little bit better than that. Jesus yeah, Christ. That's an Ariel Hawani tweet we're putting on this show. Shout out to uh, to our friend in the in the industry there. But uh, there's his boxing coach right there, Luke. I forgot that guy's name, but uh, yeah, there you go. Okay. All right. I mean, they're going to take him to the haunted house after this. What the fuck are they doing? Yeah, this was I don't I don't understand the hook here right now. You know what? what, what are, I don't get it. I don't get it. But. You know, okay. when Real Madrid wins the when La Liga, they get to get in the whole bus and the top of it, and then it's like you know the whole thing. But yeah, but look at the community embrace this 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 these pure men. I mean, nobody else is going to show up in like a camouflage UFC hat and like a bomber jacket that uh, Johnny Dakota gave Zach Morris in that Saved by the Bell episode. You know what I mean? Well, good good for him, and uh, any award and praise he gets, he has deserved it tenfold. I'll say that. Absolutely. Look, let's go to the fun shit now. Uh, this is from Canada. It was a soccer match. You know when those drunk guys run on the field? Oh, Check I saw this, this one. Bop! <laughs> <laughs> That's a great open field tackle right there. Shirtless Dude, I got to say, a lot of times these security guards guys... They they try to like pull someone down, you know what I mean? Like they don't they don't try and tackle too too hard. I know that there's a lot of cases where they get tackled like vicious, but you know I've seen a lot of ones where it was not so bad. Dude, this security guard was like, "Bitch, you can sue us all you want. I'm fucking murdering you." I mean, he actually Good hurt himself Lord. against the fence there. He didn't care, Luke. That's vicious, right? Dude, there. this is like Sean Taylor tackling that kicker at the uh, at the Pro Bowl. Remember that? Oh yeah, oh yeah. When he just fucking think... lit that guy on fire. Would he would he have been this aggressive if this guy was naked though? Sean Taylor? No, this this no, oh. this guy right here. Oh, yeah, I think he wanted that scalp, dude. Look, he he does the Goldberg spear, right? Is that what they called it? Yeah, but ah. if that guy was naked, you get the scalp and the and the bag. Look, you get it all there, okay? Listen, you got to risk it for the biscuit. You know what I'm yes. saying, DC? Hey, DeZone had a second card from England on Saturday afternoon. It produced two big moments. How about 35 year old Kiko Martinez, the former world champion? Get it? He rallied oh, back against Kid Galahad to claim another world title. Luke, look at this one-punch finish to open round six. He just he just let him go. Um, amazing win. Kiko's Dude, been around the, the for Spanish. Ever. The Spanish had a good weekend for, uh, yeah. for combat sports. 
Big win for Spain. He's uh he's managed and promoted by the great Sergio Martinez as well. Big win for Kiko Martinez right there. But Luke, the big story was American Alicia Baumgartner went in against Terry Harper for the women's 130-pound title. Yep. And check out this finish. Stops her on her feet. You got Michaela Mayer calling her out for a fight. This was a big win for the yeah, U.S. This here. Is, this is going to be on. Um, this is going to be on extra credit as well. Oh, nice! It's it, it, yeah. it's a rare stoppage. What with somebody on their feet there. Terry Harper was out cold. Look at that. Yeah, I mean, but look, she's yeah. I mean, it's a great. It's a good stoppage. She iced her. That right hand completely iced her. Luke, let's play your favorite game. Rate that tat. Here's a UK boxing fan who got a Gervonta Davis tattoo. And also got one of noted British promoter Eddie Hearn. What do you think of this? Can we zoom in? That's a good tattoo. I mean, I wouldn't want Eddie Hearn on my leg like this, but yeah. Yeah, I would not want it, but that's a good tattoo. Mm -hmm. That's a well, that's okay. a very well done tattoo. New Bellator lightweight champion, Patricky Pitbull Freyday, Luke. We we didn't talk about this last week, but he has a new tattoo of himself on his right arm. Your thoughts? <laughs> And he's dressed as a knight or like a shogun or something? Yes. Pretty badass. It's pretty badass. You got to say it. It's not my favorite. It's not my Gaff, favorite. can we zoom in one more time? And I, I, Look, I'm not one of getting a picture of myself on my body, but that's pretty badass, Luke. If you're a fighter and it's a full sleeve. Yeah, but like you see a lot of them. Like who has it? Like Tiago Mejeta has like on his arm and in his shin. He's got like tattooed armor. I'm not one of these guys who's like, this is not quite that. This, I mean, that's almost like a biomech tattoo. Sort of. I'm not, this is not that, but you know, these like super macho tattoos, I'm not super in, personally, personally, I'm not super into them. Luke, remember last week when we showed the picture of the dress worn by Oscar De La Hoya's new girlfriend? Yes, the one that barely had any fabric. Yes. It turns out her name is Holly Saunders. She's a former Golf Network uh, host. Look at what she did to show her love for Oscar. She got his 1992 gold medal winning uh, stance on her back. Um, you better hope. You better hope this is a permanent relationship, Luke, because that that that's a very that's a very well done tattoo. Uh, I will say that, like, that's a really well done tattoo, actually. Um, but as a tattoo choice, that's uh, a little different. Um, <laughs> she she wrote a message on Instagram saying like for the guy that has everything I wanted to give you a gift you know that no one's given you and he responded on her IG saying I've never felt love in my life like this so look I, I gotta wish Oscar well right uh, yeah that's a great tattoo that's our, that, you're showing me some pretty decent tattoos all, all, all I, don't, I mean I'm not a favorite of the Patricky one but the other ones are pretty good. I mean, I don't see the, the, the radiant and talented Mrs. Thomas getting a tattoo of your mug on her back. Uh, yeah, probably by choice. Okay. Just in case. Just in case. Just All right, let's I keep it going. Just bus tomorrow, you know? Here are your shirts of the week from this couple visiting Disney World, Luke. So I didn't know this was a thing until I went to Disney World where families or couples or whatever groups... Oh, it's wear shirts commemorating them going to Disney at the Disney event they're going to. It's a major thing. Even my it's wife, who's not even thing. this type of person, my wife got all of us shirts the last time we went. Oh, she did. You did that. She had one said, you know, mom, dad. One said the kid's name written yeah. in the Disney letters. Yeah, I mean, she's not even that type, and she did it. So I mean, it's a this thing, is up. I mean, this is up there with the Yadong jokes, which were funny the first eighty-nine oh, billion. 
How old? No, no, no. How old and suck my balls? First of all, suck my balls. Number one. Number two. I'm not telling you they're not funny. What I'm telling you is they were funny the first 90 billion times you did them. I I guess my question is, are we going to just do this until he dies, like on his obituary? We're going to write Yadong, LOL. Is that what's going to happen here? Well, I mean, I'm not doing it to to take shots at uh, Yadong. And some somehow this spurred a, a retread of, oh, Luke's co-host is the racist guy against Asians. No, that's not <laughs> no, me. No, 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 no. It's not that. It's got nothing to do with that. The guy's name sounds funny. I get it. My only but point I even is got everyone played. does it every time. Well, Jeremy Oakman slid into my IG DMs and was like, did you see the weigh-ins? Your dong looks small. And I was like, oh, you got me there. You got me. Yeah, you got me there. Uh, All right. I mean, you know, I get it. They're, they were funny yeah, the but first you, 90 Luke, billion times. Knowing your stance as a historic curmudgeon, you came out very get-off-my-lawn-ish with that tweet. You should probably delete yeah, of it course. before. Yeah, of course. Right. You guys can get the fuck off my lawn, and I'm right about it. You Listen, here's what I've learned. I'm just ahead of the curve on some of this shit. You guys will come around to this wow. position wow. eventually. Yeah, we'll come around when we're an old bastard sitting on a porch with a shotgun talking about how the, these kids these days. Yeah, look, I Dude, can't wait to the, meet you. you the only thing that would happen with a shotgun is you would get a black eye as it recoils into your face from you handling it improperly. Anyway, let's go to BKFC from Miami. No, I'm not going to show you Britt Beltran's victory over uh, Pearl Gonzalez. But, Luke, the, the press conference between Hector Lombard and Lorenzo Hunt got crazy again. Remember oh, Lombard gave him a two-piece? Lombard had given him a two-piece after his last win, which really set this fight up. Hunt would go on to belt. win a decision. But I love that move, taking the belt and just slamming it to the ground, Luke. Didn't Hector lose this weekend? Yes. As I just said, Hunt won a decision. Okay, so this is... I'm just trying... I'm confused. This is pre? This is like last Wednesday. Oh, 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 oh. Yeah, dude, they get busy over there. BKFC, bro, that's where... That's where the crazy shit happens. That's that's the edge. That's the strained edge of um, sanctioned combat sports. That's what it looks like. Well, you'll see Anything all kinds else, of... you just can't sanction. BKFC offering all kinds of weird shit, including at Friday's weigh-in. Here's Dustin Pegg wearing the Borat. From, he's from suit, D.C. Luke. He's from D.C., yeah. Yeah, what are we, what, really, Luke, what are we, don't you have to, don't you, I mean, this wasn't a scheduled Manscape ad read, Luke, but this guy, <laughs> this guy can use the lawnmower, correct? Um, I thought he was super Christian. I don't know what this is about. Um. Yeah, men are disgusting. What can I tell you? We are I mean, just if, horrendous creatures. If you're going to go to this level for this bit, you probably should clean that up a little. Okay? <laughs> okay? All right. Uh, he needs also, the lawnmower 4.0, BC. That's what he needs. Also in greater Miami this weekend, of course, was Bellator 271 on Friday. And you know who's getting a lot of, lot of uh, con- you know, disputed polarizing takes on Twitter? Valerie Lareda, who bounced back from her first loss to Hannah Guy, by taking a split decision from five and nine, 38 year old soccer mom, Taylor Turner. So, Luke. And then yeah. she does the uh, stripper thing, yeah. So, not only did Loretta refuse the post fight hug, watch this. Post fight hug, get away from me. Yeah. I'm not saying she can't do these dances, Luke. I'm saying you struggled to beat somebody who's five and nine. It was a split decision, and you're going to. You know, dance on the grave and celebrate like like we're like we're like it's raining right now. Um, Luke, I'm sorry, it's not a good look. If if this if this is your gimmick and you're winning fights and you're making improvements, 
I felt her performance here was, you know, like a, like a lateral step back. And I know she went afterwards, she was crying after she won and saying the media is always, you know, whatever. But Yeah, what did, well, you, what did you make of her saying that the media was unfair? I'm like, I don't think they're unfair. Granted, of course, I have my own perspective. She has hers. But I don't think they're unfair at all. Uh, in fact, I think they've been generous, if anything. Well, to her point, she said the media is unfair, but I brought this on. And, you know, she's trying. But I, I just... Look, I'm not saying like that it wasn't a lot for her to come back from her first defeat and still believe in herself, but to do this dance and then to have tears, like, Luke, they gave her a, a soft opponent, and she struggled yeah. to, I mean, she it was a split decision. She struggled to show dominance over that soft opponent. I mean, look, no disrespect to Taylor Turner. She's been in there before. She beat Heather Hardy. She lost Alejandra Lara, but Luke, I mean, dude, I, that striking was, was laughable. So yeah, I'm just saying... Yeah, I'm just saying, maybe save that stuff for, for the big moments. But uh, it, it is what it is. You know what a big moment. Welterweight I'm Roman. I'm just never going to tell, you know, dance, ladies. Dance if you want to, is my view. All right, so you'll be the old guy that says no more dong jokes, but you won't be the no, old I, guy I mean, that I, says... I understand. I mean, I'm doing a bit. Like, I understand your point about, like, if you're going to celebrate like that, it needs to be, you know, commensurate with a performance that merits that kind of a thing. I think for her, I, I don't want to speak for her, but it seems like her response would be, well, she got, the, she got back in the winning side of things, which I think she was mostly happy about. I think she took this fight on short notice, relatively, like six weeks, so not, like, perfect. Um, but, yeah, dude, at some point, she's got to figure out what she's doing here. Are we doing the whole, like... Um, you know, which is totally within her right, like sex appeal, like online figure or fighter. You, it's hard to do both. You kind of have to make a choice about. Based on the pictures be. you texted me, I would say the former, Luke. Could be, could be. All right, you know who won this night though? Welterweight Roman Feraldo, six and zero oh with six knockouts. This dude. This dude. Look at that Look. taunting Bop. and the finish. Oh, shades of Luke. Shades of future champion Kevin Lee against Gregor Gillespie with the way the head hit the cage there. But so to watch this, he taunted him after he rocked him with the left hand. He also uh, fainted like he was going to spin. He doesn't. Lands the left hook and then just called his shot. Bop, got the guy to duck right into it. What do you think about him calling out highly ranked Jason Jackson after this, even though he's only 6-0 and with six knockouts? Love it. Love it. Let's see it. This guy looks good. I had never heard of him, candidly. So I'll pretend, I won't pretend like I did. He looked good. And also, Cody Law remains undefeated uh, on the prelim card. He looked good as well. I think I think Roman Feraldo is an ATT guy as well. The only problem is, look, he beat Robert Turnquest, who missed weight by 7.8 pounds for this fight. <laughs> Could have been. I mean, was he last minute? I don't know what the issue was. Yeah, but yeah he, he wasn't beating a high-quality opponent, but, no. you know, what are you going to do? All right, Luke, great sound caught in weird context. Here we go. Uriah Faber talking about Frankie Edgar. Obviously, as a, as a younger Frankie, he wasn't as susceptible to being knocked out. That's something that happens with age. I don't care how tight something is. It, you pound on it over the years, it's going to loosen a bit. So, obviously, as a, as a younger Frankie, that's something that happens with age. I don't care how Luke, uh, in your travels, can you confirm that that's true, Luke? <laughs> Um, you know, I'd also say the human anatomy is quite resilient, but when it comes to taking punches, <laughs> not that resilient. Uh, yeah. All right. Uh, shout out to the schmo. Look at you like that haircut, little old school, like Brian Bosworth type shit going on. I didn't notice it. What did he, what did he do? 
Can oh, we zoom with the, in with the, for... with the, with the, with the, with the, the, it's a little vanilla ice, right? It is a little vanilla ice. Well, I mean, that's on brand for our guy, the Schmo, right? He goes, he goes after it, Luke. He goes after it. Oh, he doesn't, listen, he's, he's his own man. Let him be. Let him do his thing. Cook, player, cook. All right, Luke, you're really here to see drunk chicks do ridiculous things, right? Yeah, I mean, where the fuck has that been? Jesus, where's that in the elder abuse guy? Hey, this fine lady getting the boot right here. Check this out, Luke. What the fuck? Oh, right. Okay. <laughs> okay, that explains it. Yeah. She ain't no Ronnie Deutsch, I'll tell you that much, Luke. Wow. That is... Uh, <laughs> you, got you know what? Hey. That's actually a pretty stupid, but also kind of funny bit. I actually kind of yeah. like that. Yeah, hey, honey, By the way, I meant to tell you this. So I went to... When I was in Brussels, I went to the actual and original... Delirium Tremens Cafe. We you had this beer before, right? Delirium. Tremens. Oh, it's incredible. Yeah, yeah. It's amazing. So I went to the actual cafe um, with the pink elephants and everything, and they have a boot behind the counter. You cannot buy it, but you can rent it for free. But here's the bit: they'll fill it up with whatever you want. And you pay for however much that costs. You, you have to give them fifty euros, and you can have the boot. When you give the boot back, they'll give you your fifty euros back. But it's sort of like collateral in case something happens to it. It's a giant glass boot. That they will fill with booze. So I did that in Brussels. I had two of them shits, and I was fucking hammered at that. So point. Luke, as you may remember from me when our great beer challenge and all that, I strongly dislike Belgium style beers. It's like just putting a stick of butter in the Budweiser. But this is the only I mean, beer, the in, one of the only beers in that category. Heard. And I get people will go, "Oh, that's the real beer." Okay, that's cool. That's cool. But this, when I tried this, when I bought this one time. I remember specifically, Luke, I bought the 16-ounce bottle that's like, what, like $13 or whatever. I drank yeah. the whole thing in one sitting. I stood up. I was like, am I high? This is a different buzz right now. Like, it was it was some strong shit in there, Luke. What did they put yeah, in there? Yeah, it's, it's high alcohol content. I'm not sure what the ABV is, but all those Belgian beers typically are. They got high ABV. All right, Luke, we call this category only in South Florida. I'm sure you can assume what's happening next, but check out this busy intersection. This can't be. This can't be safe, Luke. Can oh, we zoom in? Can we zoom in here? Propane tanks fell off. <laughs> Nothing like spilling Dude. ten protein tanks in a in a crowded intersection in Miami. Oh, That's great. Jesus, I mean, what the fuck, guy? I and mean, by the way, happened? those are not light. Like you can't rush. If they're if they're full, you know, it takes a second to go get them all. You know. I mean, nothing like hitting a car into a propane tank. That, that'll end great. Bro, this yeah, is but... how they should do strong, man. Just do all the events in the middle of Florida traffic. Yeah, nobody would notice. Well, speaking of South Florida, let's go to the beach for this selfie, Luke. I don't really know how to analyze this. Wait for it. Wait for it. Zoom in. Wait for it. I see an ass. Oh, what are we doing? Yeah... Um, <laughs> yeah, okay. Uh, they did it all for the gram and the nookie, it turns out. Luke. I've That's done great. this when I've had a remarkably itchy rear end. So yeah. who, who am I to judge? <laughs> yeah. Can you oh, imagine dude. raising this person and then you find out later in life what they've been doing and you're like, dude, let me explain something to you. This person's father failed. Failed. Wow. This person's father gives out Arby's tickets at Halloween. There's no question. Yeah, this, uh, this person get, this person's father hands out Roy Rogers coupons at Halloween. You understand yeah. that? All right. Luke, hey, Conor McGregor's uh, social media game is a shit show these days, but he shouted you out this past week. I don't know if you saw this. Can we blow this tweet up? Can you read it, Luke? India invented chess, invented yoga. <laughs> I shouldn't do that. They even thought, they even thought us how to count. <laughs> Einstein said we owe a lot to the Indians. 
There is even a golden temple in India that feeds 100,000 people a day for free. Man, the Indians are fucking awesome. If you are Indian, I say thank you. Luke, forget about Veterans Day. Today, like Connor, I say thank you because you your people you and your people are fucking awesome. Um you're an idiot, but I appreciate that. Thank you. Luke, do not turn your back. It's it's like here here's what this is equivalent to, Luke. I could suddenly announce that my house is sovereign territory and I could my wife could give birth and I could say this is uh Lithuanian. This is Lithuania right here, adjacent. This is sovereign territory. My kids are not Americans. I could do something like that, Luke, but it would have the same you know, meaning as you declaring you're not an Indian citizen. BC, you just recited to me the uh, synopsis of a Family Guy episode to make your argument. So I'm just going to let that live uh, in infamy. How about that? Okay, let's keep this weird show going. Uh, let's go to regional MMA, Luke, where anything can happen. How about Penn State stud Bo Nickel of ATT, Luke? Here's his second amateur fight, and once again, he gets a finish. Uh, let, let's call him up to the big yeah, leagues he, already. He, he's, a, he's a dynamic wrestler, three-time national champion, and I watched two of those championships live. They were not very close. He is uh, about as blue chip as they come, but, but... As you indicated, just two fights. He has a long way to go. Yes. I put him on here because my neighbor loves the guy. He talks about him all the time. All right, let's keep it going here. Uh, SFFN6, whatever the hell that means. Marcio Takato with an insane KO to make this week's countdown. Oh, oh that left hook off the clinch break. And I think he – did he switch stances? Let's see. I have to go back and watch it again. What, That's a what nice cage left hook. is this? What's that white backdrop, Luke? What are we doing? So do you remember when Dream one time used the white cage? Hold on. No, he did not switch stances. I he don't changed his remember. angles a little bit, yeah. Um, they used like a, a white surface and then a white pads, and then the fence itself was white. And it was, if I recall, I, I, again, someone correct me on the details. I believe it was tuna netting. It was tuna netting. That obviously, you can imagine tuna fishing is huge in Japan. And they use that, and I think the fighters were saying that like it fucking hurt to get pressed up against it in more ways than normal. But I just don't do? understand that that white wall in the background. That that's pretty weird. But that's the regional MMA scene. All right, two quick ones for you, Luke. Here's a good way to spend your Saturday night when you're uh, unemployed and single. How many times have you done that? I actually never have. I witnessed the guy do it inside the uh, ESPN newsroom once. Shout out to UFC Steve Guyatt, a, a fantastically talented video producer who uh, I used to work with at ESPN. Uh, go back. I want to just watch this Darwin Award, you know, live and breathe. I mean, look at this. Just, you can't. I mean, look at uh, that. The, the, what really sells it for me is not that he lit his fart on fire, but rather the look of sheer panic at the very yes. end. This is one of those where I'd love to see what happened next. Did he completely go up in flames, Luke? I hope. I really do. All right, finally, Luke, speaking of your old man ways, this is probably you in about 25 years when your daughter has, or probably less than that, when your daughter has her first alcoholic at party and you walk home to it. Here is how you break up your kid's party. Zoom in, please. Oh, this motherfucker got the, <laughs> the saw? Yeah, bro. Where I come from, where I come from, the saw is the law. Everybody out. All right. No dog jokes. 
All right. <laughs> it's called a, a cover. Everybody out. All right. Wait, wait, wait. Hold on. You can kill me for the Yadong stuff. That's fine. It is called a cover. You cannot call it a hat. All That's right. I love is. your. I love how you no-sold, though, the text I sent you. I, I wish I could shout out the guy who sent it to me on Instagram. From the Paris Island Marines Museum Facebook yes. account, they showed the history of the Marine cover. Dude, hold on a second. Are you under the impression that what you're about to say is that what it's actually called is a hat? Because I will warn you, there isn't a single person who has ever served in the Marine Corps that will back that up. No one, and you know, I, I saw, mean no one, calls it I saw it a two hat. Marines. That it might have been called that in the 20s and the teens is possible, but under modern parlance, it is never, ever, ever referred to as a hat, ever. It is a Luke? campaign cover for the, for the drill instructors. And everyone else, it's just a cover. It's okay. Not only did I have Marines reach out to me and say Luke, Luke is being ridiculous. He's being pedantic. No, he's not, dude. Never in my entire. I've never been on a base or talked to any other Marine that ever called it a hat. Ever, ever. You, you old pedantic. Literally, not one time. And also, you can you can kill me for the Yadong stuff because that is old man shit. One hundred percent. I'm guilty as charged, no doubt about it. But the cover is just just what it's called, bro. It's just what it's called. Well, I, I saw two Marines at the Patriots game yesterday, and I almost stopped them to ask them. But you I should have. Give me a, a dirty look, Luke. And uh, from the USMC Museum Paris Island Facebook account, the history yeah. of the field cover, also known as the field hat. Come yeah. on, Luke, okay? In yeah, 1912, dude, no one calls it a hat. Yeah, 19-whatever it may have been. No one calls it a hat. In 1912, hat. Marines calling the hat a field hat? I mean, come on. It's it's the yeah. history. Yes, yes. Pre-World War One, perhaps it was mixed. I'm telling you, dude, so here's what happens. Let me just give you a quick explanation of this. When you show up to Paris Island, they tell you that things that have names no longer have names. Some of those things are names that are uh, you never heard before. Some of them are names for things you already have previously named. Like, you may not know this. You, you, you can't say the left side of the room or the right side of the room. You have to say, I see what you're doing. You're being an asshole. You have to say the port side of the room or the starboard side of the room. It is not the front or the back. It is the bow or the aft which obviously comes from being a part of the Navy. You, they're not called sneakers. They're called go-fasters. They're not called window, uh, uh, windows or no glasses. They're called portholes, whatever the fuck they call them. Uh, anyway, it's not a hat. It's a cover. It will always be a cover. It will never not be a cover. It's not a hat. You will not find another Marine who calls it a hat. It's not possible. It's just not what they're called. Yes, fog up those fucking lenses, you douchebag. <laughs> I like how you're like, I'm super pro-military. You're the most insulting fuck I know. Do you really mean to say after six years I'm making this up? Like, that's not what we learned? That's, we learned that shit on day one. Day Luke, one. Not a hat. Cover. My, with my field hat on, I will say thank you. I hope you suffocate. <laughs> we got time for odds and ends, asshole. What do you got? I was actually going to walk off. I forgot about it. All yeah. right. Uh, yeah. So, Luke, here's the deal. Um, you know, I may be a Showtime guy, but Showtime's doing some good shit right now. Did you happen to see the um, all-access epilogue of Canelo Plant, which debuted Saturday night? Did you see that? I did. I did. I thought it was fucking great. 
I really want to shout out not only Showtime, who does a great job on that series in general, but both Canelo and Caleb Plant. If you watch it, it basically recaps from Friday morning before the fight all the way through the end of it with the inside moments. And, and really the way they film and capture the fight itself and, and get comments from those. I mean, I didn't know Jamal Charlo was sitting ringside telling his brother, I could beat Canelo. I was like fired up when I when I heard that. Um, Luke, the respect shown by Caleb and Canelo afterwards when they were mic'd up hugging each other and, you know, uh, C- Caleb just looking for that respect from Canelo and saying, I would never disrespect your mother. And, you know, C- Canelo saying, you know, you're part of my family now. I respect you. I love you. I mean, that was just, Luke, again, in a sport without, like, legitimately touching moments, that was one of those, like, Real men stuff right there. I appreciate that. But really, I want to shout out, uh, we always say 30 days free on Showtime and you can get some good stuff. How about the Kevin Garnett documentary, Anything is mm. Possible? It debuted last week. Uh, our good buddy, Brian Daly, who was a big part of that, getting that launched in Showtime Digital. Um, that is a fantastic watch, whether you're a you know hardcore KG fan like myself as a Celtics fan or not. To see the intensity on full display of KG as he relives his career, you really get to know the man. But some of the storytelling and the behind-the-scenes stuff, it's hilarious. It's insightful. It was uh, a fantastic watch. One of the better docs, uh, you know, in in, in recent years. Uh, So anyone out there, if you're getting your 30 days free for – it doesn't cost anything, folks. Uh, This would be a hell of a watch looking back at at KG's run. No doubt about it. No doubt about it. That's a great point. Also, like with the uh, epilogue for all access for Canelo versus Plant, I know there was, like, there was the video that went viral about a week or so ago after the fight where Canelo is being talked to by Plant, like, yeah, I'm pretty good, huh? Like, I got your respect, huh? That kind of a thing. And folks are like, oh, here's Plant looking for respect. This is this is weak. This is weak sauce. And it's like, I don't, I don't love that per se, but dude, like in the end, Plant got Canelo's respect. That's enough for me, right? Like, Whatever else they did in the round, like it was a little strange to do that. It's a little strange to do that. But he earned my respect with the way he fought. He clearly earned Canelo's respect with the way he fought. Uh, to me, like there should be no more controversy about that. Absolutely. You, you and I had a conversation with that off here. I was like, you know, how do you how do you take this? A lot of people ripping him, but you're right. You know, he part what this was about for for Caleb Plant was winning, but it was about showing Canelo and showing everyone that he really is that good. And Luke, I've seen some people you know, go, okay, that was, okay, he survived a while, but was he really trying to win? Caleb Plant fought a very good fight, Luke. You know, it turns out he was fighting the best in the world, and, and he did better than a lot of Canelo opponents, and and uh, I think this will elevate him moving forward. And there was a nice little exchange on the All-Access between him and Jamal Charlo, where, you know, Caleb's hmm. like, I'll see you. I'll see you in the ring someday, and and, and Jamal welcomed it. And uh, there's some fun matches to make in the PBC at six, around in and around the 168-pound division moving forward, so it should be good. Just for me is BKFC results, BC, and uh, your girl got it done again. Britton Hart defeated Pearl Gonzalez via unanimous decision. She got two 48-47s, one 49-46. I actually watched it. I had it 48-47, although I understand what the 49. I don't think it's that crazy. Pearl Gonzalez was a uh, game opponent, especially in the third round. I thought she had done some good work. But, dude, Britton Hart gets the win, BC. If, I mean, it's not MMA, it's BKFC uh, or, you know, bare-knuckle fighting. But, I mean, is she your prototypical candidate for a, a Factory Town MMA sponsorship? It feels like she is. Oh, I thought you were going to say Women's Fight of the Year in Combat Sports, uh, Fighter of the Year. I was like, I think you're right. Yeah, Luke, she she <laughs> she, she bleeds uh, 
Factory Town MMA. In fact, I, I should probably make her a spokesman for the brand. Uh, she has officially changed her name and social media now to Britain Beltran since the marriage to Joey okay. Beltran. But I Fair saw enough. some people saying she didn't deserve this decision. It was a hard fight. Did you see that finishing sequence? Her face is all cut open and she's getting in Pearl's face talking There were people junk. who thought Pearl Gonzalez won? Yeah, there were. There were some people. But uh, that was another gritty performance. Look, to be Britain Hart's had some pro boxing matches, but look, she's... She didn't come into this newfound stardom as as like a forget household name as you know anybody really recognizing her as anything. She's taken this platform and really made something. I uh, you know it's it's good to see. She's she's fun. She talks that shit. It's fun to see. I'll say this. I think it's good to see people who are better. Like it, it, it kind of would have taken the steam out of BKFC if MMA fighters just go over there and immediately just take over. You know what I mean? It's good to see somebody who. Uh, tries to make BKFC their primary lane of success. I'm sure Britton Hart has experimented with other combat sports, but you know this is obviously her best road to achieving her goals, and has made that like her bread and butter, like this particular style of fighting. Because uh, without that, it's just going to be you know MMA leftovers. This kind of changed the game up a little bit for her and uh, and for the sport. So that's I good agree. to see. By and the way, Luke... Marcus Brimage was on this card. Really. Yeah, wow. I thought he was donezo, but I'm I guess still waiting not. for that Conor rematch. Maybe we get that in uh, BKFC. Uh, Luke, <laughs> I, I apologize might. to you and any other veteran if that if my shtick comes across as annoying, corny, or blasphemous. You know I respect you. And, and I know. You, I mean, I treat the yeah. flag and believe it or not, and the uniform with such reverence that when I see some asshole hippie who bought some piece of military uniform from a Salvation Army store. I typically want to strangle him, um, but, you know, that's not legal, so I don't. All right. But, but the only yes, thing you can I do after... I don't like it when you do that, but, I, you know, you know, it's all in good fun, so I have to... The only thing you go. can do after bad offensive comedy is apologize. Luke, I've done that to our staff many times, okay? I'm sorry, Luke. I'm sorry. Yeah, but it's more so just because you're you more than it was like a bad offensive comedy. You are bad offensive comedy. Uh, okay. BC, I think that's it for today. Oh, uh, do we have anything else to read? No, I think we can do it after the show. All right. Do you want to do a third hour, Luke? We might as well just keep going, you know? We could. We could. It's that kind of a show. Let's remind folks to check out Showtime. We give Showtime a lot of love on this goddamn show. So Showtime.com, 30-day free trial. If you like it, you can keep it. And if not, you can do something else. You can watch Bellator. You can watch boxing. And you can watch KG's documentary and a shitload of other things. All right there. And and if you don't like it, you can just dump it and go do something else. So there you go. Uh, you can email the show for Wednesdays, fan subs, Fridays, dead wrong. Morningcombat at gmail.com is going to be the place for that. And uh, don't forget our merch, like this one. Morningcombat.store is going to be the place. BC, what's the update on drug rugs? Anything? They're coming. That's where we're at right now. They're coming. Okay, we're we're making a big push to the to the Christmas to the sorry the holiday themed wine that's coming out. Um, also, gift cards are available at morningcombat.store. Ooh, that's if right. You, that's right. If you if you always hear your hubby laughing about this show, or if you're one of our female, apparently we have real real female listeners, Luke. I mean, you know, shout out to uh, Melissa loves nachos, big time fan of our show. Uh yes, that's true. That's true. Uh, that's true. Uh but you know, how many normal. Well, how many normal males or females do we have watching this show? By the way, the the the, the wonderful New Jersey couple that offered us uh, a spot in their home, Luke, and dinner, 
They mm-hmm. did reach out, uh, and the and the guy showed me a copy of both his license and his marijuana card, and we're like, no, we're legit. We're, we're for real. If you guys want to come over, we will not steal your organs. So, Luke, dude, I think we, I, I think we should do that shit. I, yeah, I'm his wife's serious. from Italy. We got to take that gamble. We got to roll that dice. Okay, let's do that. I think I think. Listen, most of the people, if we did this, we'd show up to their house and they'd be like, "Wow, your house is nubs. I don't want to be here." And uh, you know, they might make terrible conversation, but we could go over there. I could blow up their bathroom. We could drink yes. their wine, and then we could just leave. You know what I'm saying? We should make that a recurring bit, not a documentary, but like a in WWF in your house. MK comes to your house, and you know we'll we'll make fun of all your stuff, and and you'll feed us, and we'll just you know it's great. If you look yeah, at, listen, I'm, we'll go to your house. I'll roast your cable management. BC will try and bang your wife, and uh, <laughs> then we'll leave. No. No, 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 Luca. All right, all right. That's great. That's all, all right. I got. Uh, let's see what else we got to do. You, know, you can give us a review on Apple and a bunch of other places. Uh, okay, so we'll, uh, don't uh, lose sight. Extra credit is coming after the show. We're back on Wednesday. We got a lot to do. So that's Brian Campbell. I'm Luke Thomas. You can follow us all over social media right there on the bottom of the screen if you like. And if you're listening, it's morning combat everywhere. All right, that is it for Brian Campbell, for Malka, for Showtime, for CBS Sports. I'm Luke Thomas. Until next time, may all of your gains be loyal. It's the NFL offseason, but on Pick 6, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network, the football season never stops. Host Will Brinson, John Breach, and Tyler Sullivan are joined by analysts like Brady Quinn, Leslie Ducible, Katie Mox, and R.J. White to keep you in the loop on everything happening around the league. Whether it's free agents signing with new teams, the all-important NFL draft, or schedule release day, Pick 6 has you covered. As the face of the league changes with every team move and player pickup this spring, Pick 6 is a must Listen, download, and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and anywhere podcasts are found.